It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey everybody, this is Larry the Cable Guy. Check this out. So I'm in my truck driving with my buddy, and we was heading up to the men's warehouse to fart in the suits, and he's listening to his phone. I said, that sounds like Hermes Sadler. He said, it is Hermes Sadler. He's got a podcast called Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. I said, Sadler and the Senator? He said, yeah, that's his good buddy, Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley. I said, well, what in the world? He didn't know this. I said, did you know that Hermie Sadler was voted one of the 50 best-looking drivers in NASCAR? He said, I did not know that. I said, because it ain't true. <laughs> you never know, though. He never takes off his helmet. But I know one thing. This show, Leaning Right, Turning Left, is good. So pull up a chair right there by your phone, get yourself a cold beer, and give a listen right here to this week's episode of Leaning Right, Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. I'll tell you what, I bet Michael Waltrip's even listening. He's always wanted to do something like that. Oh, Sadler, got another one over on Waltrip. Get her done! I'm Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley, and I'm leaning right. And I'm Hermie Sadler, and from the South Boston Speedway in South Boston, Virginia, I'm turning left, leaning right, and turning left with Sadler and the Senator is back, powered by Pacematic. Good morning, Hermie. Senator, how are you? Well, had a kind of a rainy night here at South Boston, pulled the RV, which we're sitting in right now, the Stanley Law Group RV, uh, pulled it into the uh, track last night. Bobby Labani came in. He's just right next to us. Uh, His we, we had a good time. motorhome is bigger than yours. His motorhome makes my motorhome look like <laughs> one of them pop-up tents at them homeless uh, camps. So what are you, you going to do about it? Uh, I'm trading this in next week. Yeah. Just, you know, every time I see somebody I saw with you a better motorhome, I go get his motorhome bobbies yeah. and are looking for one one inch longer than he is, and <laughs> we can expect to see that maybe at Martinsville yeah. uh, a week from Thursday night at the Wheeling Modified Tour race at Martinsville Speedway. That sucker is 45 foot. And so I mean, we, it is. has got to be a coach. 45 and a half one somewhere. Yeah. and uh, But I don't know that I can drive that one. I'm I'm learning. Did Bobby drive his? Yeah. Bobby wow. drives his. He comes in here. He drove it here. He drove it to uh, Pulaski uh, in the last week's race, and mm-hmm. we camped out together, and we're camping out again. But it was rainy. It was windy, so there wasn't a lot of festivities. I got to bed about 8.30. Slept 10 hours and got up early and and so got it going. So we're only staying tonight. It's Sunday. Our race w- was canceled here at South Boston Speedway on Saturday. So now it's Sunday. Well, this is Sunday morning right now. The teams are all kind of piling into the track. Uh, this is a very exciting race, and we'll explain why. We've got a lot on the line. Uh, but what is really more exciting to me is that in my little 30-foot RV, I not only have my best friend, Hermie Sadler, but I got the one. The only, 
Ship back, everybody. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank the Lord. The man purse has made another man, appearance. Man, Hermes Fanny Pack I is thought, back. I thought it was over. Yeah. Well, you know, I kept getting emails from Alan Joseph. Look, the ratings have gone through the damn floor. Get back up there. I said, all right, I'll work it out, Alan. I'll take care of it. I must confess there were people that have texted me and uh, contacted me saying, did Shep quit? That just and burned we your ass. Doesn't that it just chap well, you? Know, he, will quit. He, he will quit yeah. on you. I mean, this, it, it was not inconsistent with the way 2023 has played itself out with yeah. Shep Moss this year. Yeah. It has been, we didn't know. In fact, we've had, what, three podcasts where you and I have pondered this very yeah. question. Yeah. Is Shep gone for good? Yeah. Is Shep holding out? Is he on strike? Yeah, because he's hired an agent to represent him. Alan Joseph? Well, I, a huge firm out of New York. Oh, really? Representing Shep Moss Inc. Alan's just representing the pod. I actually had to engage <laughs> in a real attorney uh-huh. that can actually win a case. Why are you looking at me when you say that? <laughs> that can actually oh, win a case. Way easy there. Now, come on, kid. Now, hey, I will say this is a beautiful motorhome. Thank you. You haven't quit. This though. is beautiful. No, I have not quit. All right, Shep is back, ladies now, and gentlemen. If you start winning some court cases, you can up mm. your hourly rate and get a motorhome like Bobby Labonte. Yeah, and let me tell you something. Up to Friday, I was on a streak. I was on three weeks, wasn't losing. Now, a couple of those wins were because of Hermie Sadler directly, <laughs> and we d- discussed this on the prior podcast, where I had walked into two courtrooms in two different counties, and once they learned one one in the first case that he was sitting there, I got moved to the front of the line. And got all the mm. all the the grace and and uh, and privileges that. And what county would have was it? That would have been Greensville. Gotcha. And then I was in Brunswick without without uh, Hermie for Burt Myers, a racer here at the Smart Modified Series. And I sat down with the officer that uh, that gave him the ticket. And you know, I tried the this is Burt Myers, and he didn't really know or care. But then he looked over at me and said, "You partners with Hermie Sadler." I rate he he raced dirt and and we had a great conversation. He showed me his cars, and because of Hermie, I got a good disposition from Bert Myers on a speeding ticket because he said, "Well, yeah, and Bert had had tickets since '93, so you know we gave him a little grace." But as now, we usually do Bert with a lot the of one that has had some uh, questionable equipment shady. on his car, shady on nefarious shady activities, <laughs> to say the so least. May call it. I mean, is that? But it's the same driver. Yeah, Bert Myers. So he yeah. was probably claiming a faulty speedometer or something. Well, if he was using traction control like he's been accused of using here in the Smart Series, he wouldn't have gotten that speeding ticket. Right. He could have, been, he could have used that brake when he needed it. But uh, all worked out. No all pun intended. Use that brake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so here I was again. Hermie Sadler, you know, I, I, I can do anything I want to do but uh, as a great attorney. But uh, if, as long as I know the guy that owns a gas station, man, I'm in like Flynn. So, Hermie, Glad Hermie, Hermie. Again. Yeah, well, good job. And welcome back, Shep. It is great to be back. You've been doing a lot. You know, if you go and follow Shep Moss on uh, Party Time DJ. Uh, Party Time Music, DJ okay. Shep Moss. And yeah. uh, you've been having some big time. It's wedding season, man. And that's why you hadn't been here. That's correct. He DJed a, a wedding last night at the at the Sadler Barn. At the Estates. Not related to a Sadler, though. No, I mean, some no. mutual friends of oh. mine and my brothers had a, had a wedding last night at the at the Sadler Barn, the famous Sadler Barn that Shep has DJed at many, many times over the years, including all the way back to when I got married. There's some funny stories about that, aren't yeah, there? Yeah, we, we, that. But they're after good, eight Good stories. thing those walls don't talk. <laughs> they're <sure>. after eight. <laughs> now, wait a minute. What about that story about your dad? 
you know, about timing. I thought that was a good story. No? Full and appropriate podcast. Okay, but that's yeah. not here. Let's yeah. just go yeah. back to the um, the barn introduced some people to the Spice Channel uh, theme song. Remember that? I, I, I seem to recall something like that. Okay. Yes. So that's all we need to say about the barn. So that was at the barn? No. I don't know what, what he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Plug well, Moore said that it was at, oh, at the house. At, in, in the Not big house, the in the den. I thought it was at the barn. I stand corrected. Well, there you go. So welcome back, Shep. Good to have you back. He's wearing the appropriate SS Racing Sadler Stanley Racing gear. Yeah, I want to thank Bobby Labonte for getting this for me, too. It only took about a year to get it. <laughs> I gave it to you after hearing you all the time. Well, you know, we got an exciting race coming up, and, and let's talk about that first. Um, last week, we were talking about Bobby Labonte. It's entitled the podcast is Bobby Labonte Wins. Um, gets our first win for this year for SSR Racing. Uh, basically puts us on the map. And I mistakenly, when we were taping that podcast last week, had him and in I the wrong position, you. and you did, and uh, and I never like being wrong, especially when you're right, but I was wrong, and it appears that from that win, which was um, last week at Tri-County County mm-hmm. in North Carolina. His first victory ever there. He's uh-huh. And uh, it's turned out to be that he is in fourth place, four points back in the Smart Series Modified Championship run, and we can, if he places well tonight and makes up some of those points, we will be in the... Smart Modified Championship race at the Battle of Rougemont at Orange County Speedway in North Carolina. And that's on, what, the 28th? 28th. Mm -hmm. Yep, two weeks. And not only that, we've got both cars, the 39 and the 18 VAs, in a position where we could win owner's championships based on the point system there. Wow. We we went from the outhouse to the penthouse pretty quick here, so we're we're going to be rooting hard for Bobby Labonte. Well, there you go. Actually, you saw my Class C, right? I used to have a Class C. I saw it. Yeah, and that was the one, that was when this was full. This got full quick. And, uh, it had like a five-gallon tank. Yeah, and after that, because remember, Wilkesboro was so hot, we were at North Wilkesboro at the race that Ryan Newman won, and uh, it was so hot in that RV with one air conditioning and these two little brutal. rats, my son and, and my nephew. It, I felt like I was in a Civil War um, submarine with two sweaty midgets, and I had to switch. <laughs> so Hermie likes to give me crap because I had that, RV all for about what three months, yep. and then after that uh, went to this one. But we're really happy with this one. It's a uh, no, you're not. You're already measuring Bobby Labonte's over there. <laughs> you're amazing. not, but so happy. But again, I can't drive it. And let me tell you, because because my friend and our friend Hermie uh, always says if I'm traveling, he's like, "Have you are you finished with your white knuckling experience?" Because the first time I drove an RV. My wife surreptitiously was taking pictures of me, and it looked like I was trying to grab a peach seed. And uh, and so then Hermie sends a picture of him in his RV, gripping the wheel, looking all crazy, like he's you know scared. And so I've tried to learn the finer art of driving a Class A, and I'm and I'm getting pretty you just good have to at relax. it. But the first twenty minutes, my wife thinks we're going off the road to the right, and I mean it is. She a said you like the white line a little bit. I, you know, listen, I don't want a head-on collision, that's for sure. I mean, I'll take my chances on on the right-hand side, but I, I, I mean, don't believe I've ever crossed right? it over. I've got I've got two side mirrors that show you the lines on the bottom, and then I got this TV screen right there in the uh, in the cockpit that shows you you can go left, right, and back yeah. and has cameras. So I'm always watching what's going on. But for the 50, first fifteen minutes, man, she's like, Bill, 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 Bill. Oh God, I've I never heard that, that in eleven years. Yeah, you you don't hear that much. <laughs> <laughs> Only when you're oh, driving. Oh, Bill. No, I haven't heard that in a while. So, you know, 
It, Beep. It, it does, she have, does she have to say, <laughs> oh, Hermie? Oh, Hermie? <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. But, okay. But, uh, you know, maybe. Bill got to work on its sponsorship. Look, I was uh, trying frantically, let's see, yesterday to get in touch with Bill. We'll get into some of this in a little while. Yeah. But I was frantically yesterday morning, Saturday morning, trying to get in touch with Bill. And um, I called, text, called, text. He was busy, whatever he was doing. So ultimately, I texted Laura, his wife. Instant results. And within 30 <laughs> seconds, Bill was calling. <laughs> and uh, so I said, just make sure you understand, Senator. You're my best friend. I only text your wife if I'm horny. <laughs> or if I need to, if I need to get in touch with you about an emergency, that, that went over real well with Laura, real well. So if you are horny, that probably is an emergency. <laughs> that went over really, really like a lead balloon. So there. A, a message to all my friends that are clients of Bill Stanley: if you really need to get in touch with him, you're going to have to go through his just, wife. Just get horny and call Laura; he'll call you right back. Well, what is this sitting up here on the, the table? <laughs> what the hell is sitting up here on the table? That here? is I'm not. Like, it's an unopened pack of <laughs> Nicorette gum. Unopened? <laughs> unopened. Oh, okay. Unopened, yeah. So, yeah, still to be opened. You know, I think uh, Hermie was telling me that, Bill, you had plans to quit smoking I, earlier yeah. this week. Uh, had plans and to then really you got your ass kicked Friday, so um. now you've. you've You've quit on quitting smoking. Uh, 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 Aren't you glad to have Shep back? Yeah, uh, the way he know, puts things into those uh, kind of words. Turn down his microphone and let's <laughs> you and I just have a conversation. I, I miss those days when it was just you and me. Um, no, so we will talk Alan about Joseph that too. Dutton. I was on a, I've been on a winning streak, uh, and I was really, you know, I love to try cases. And so I was trying a bunch of cases. And for the first, the last four weeks, I've been not losing in court. And then Friday kind of hit us in the face. And uh, and I had told Hermie we were getting ready for a deposition and. And I looked at her and I said, this is my last pack. When I'm done with this, no more. And after Friday, I, I went, I stopped at 7-Eleven and uh, I got me a pack. And I also had- Not only a pack. Not, not, not just a pack. <laughs> not just a pack. So, and then I had had drinking, sale. I hadn't been drinking uh, brown liquor. And uh, when I got home Friday night, uh, and we had a bunch of stuff going on uh, by then. And Hermie and I talked on the phone prob probably three or four times. I I said, I'm going to give me three fingers full of the Buffalo Trace. And so that's you how I said ended you haven't been losing cases. I thought you and Troy lost a federal case mm, a couple Jeff, weeks ago. What is Damn. wrong with you? I, oh, C. Hatfields. Damn. C. Hatfields. <laughs> the quitter's coming on strong. <laughs> Damn right. <laughs> All this thing has been pent up. I but mean, wasn't that a federal case you lost? Oh, uh, we lost a motions hearing in a federal case. Got you. Yeah. But otherwise. I see a. But those patterns over yet. No. I see a and pattern if, if you try a federal case in a criminal federal case. I mean, you're you are climbing Mount Everest. I can wait to see Nate the next time I say you mean you get shit. He's going to be mm. not only no <laughs> but hell no. <laughs> All so, right, so tell everybody what happened Friday. I mean, I know some people okay. may know have heard my phone from small business owners across Virginia has been absolutely blowing up since lunchtime on Friday. I know yours has as well. Yeah. A lot of people negatively impacted uh, by this, but you, you're the lawyer, and so tell everybody what took place on Friday. Well, as everybody knows who listens to this podcast, and certainly we've got a lot of operators, people that own convenience stores, truck stops, restaurants, and bars who have the legitimate bona fide skill games in their establishment, and they're on because of our injunction. And if you know, we sued the state of Virginia, and the, state, the legislature passed an unconstitutional law. Um, Under Ralph Northam. Mm-hmm. Court found that it was unconstitutional. Next year, some of the people that may be influenced by the casino interest decided they were going to be cute, and they put a bill, a piece of legislation, amending that law that we had uh, determined to be unconstitutional in 
the budget, which never happened, shouldn't happen, and, and is highly unusual, which then changed uh, the the law that was found unconstitut- to be unconstitutional. Uh, they changed it to try to fix it and also interfere with our court case, which is something they, they swear they're never going to do. And so they put this, this piece of legislation in the, in the uh, budget bill, and we amended our complaint, and we filed, and, and the other side demurred and pleaded and barred, and we went through uh, preliminary motions getting ready for our December 10th trial. And the court said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to extend the injunction uh, until December 10th. And it really, a lot of the extension was because the attorney general's office was fiddle-farting around with this case. I mean, we couldn't get an order entered forever, it seemed, uh, just on the extension of the injunction alone. And long story short, they appealed. Casinos filed uh, amicus briefs, friend of the court briefs. Uh, they basically argued two things. One was that the court couldn't enlarge the injunction, which the court can. And two, that, uh, that the injunction itself was without basis. Supreme Court took it under um, advisement, accepted all the briefs. And on Friday, as we were getting ready to do your deposition... And we were getting ready to head over. We were in my office in Richmond, my law office there. Um, the opinion came down, um, dissolving the injunction. Or, I'm sorry, vacating the injunction. There are two different uh, reasons. Remanding it for trial. We're still going to trial in December. And basically, instead of saying, you know, the court needs to look at the four factors of what's called the winner's case to, to grant a, an injunction, it said that we didn't have a likelihood of success on the merits. It said we were right. The first law was unconstitutional. But we think there's a difference because... Because they fixed it in well, the budget. Well, first of all, they, they, they equated skill games, games of skill, with um, sweepstakes games. And then they called it gambling instead of a skill game when, you know, when you put money up to try to win something and use your skill, that's not gambling. When you put money up to try to win something that's based 100% on chance, that's gambling. A scratch ticket is the easiest way to describe this, or a slot machine. Sure. You pay the two bucks for the scratcher, that's, that's the, other than scratching get. it with a quarter, that's it when it comes to you controlling the outcome to win your money back or win more. Uh, in this case, they, they conflated the two, I think, improperly. It was three justices. It's on a snap appeal right now because it's kind of like what we call an interlocutory appeal. And so ultimately, they weighed in uh, and believe that skill games is gambling, which I think is an error, respectfully. And I think they they confuse themselves on what is a skill game in terms of conflating it again with uh, sweepstakes, which are gambling, games of chance. Uh, and then, you know, they basically said, we don't think that Sadler has a likelihood of success on the merits. And so that's why we're vacating uh, the injunction for at this time. And what it did was it, the injunction protected the bona fide legitimate skill games throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia, about, what, 7,200 games or more? Mm-hmm. That are in small businesses like yours, Hermie, restaurants, bars, truck convenience stops, stores, convenience truck stores. Yeah. Good small business owners that have been living by the law, not the ones like in the vape shops and the, and the parlors that have these VGTs, which are games of, ch- of chance. Who we have always agreed with casinos and otherwise that we should be locking arms together and trying to get rid of the people that do not follow the law. Right. And so now what they've basically done, and I don't think they realized how bad they did it, but they've turned six... You know, probably I think there's 2,500 to 3,000 uh, convenience store owners, small business Virginia owners that have now, by this stroke of the pen, by three justices out of the seven, not the full panel. And that's why this is kind of, you know, I think I question it. It's not even a majority. It's not even a majority. It's not the full court uh, uh, making their decision. They've turned these small business owners into overnight criminals. 
And so now by having those games, which you can't just shut down overnight, you can't just unplug them. You know, they have they have the payouts, they have they have the histories that they plus need they've to. got they've got um in layman's terms, a brain inside of those games that has to be disabled and taken out of the game. The only way to ensure that the games are not played until they, all these different manufacturers can get around and have all these games picked up is to have them disabled. They got like a dongle thing, they call it, that has to be taken out. Dongle? Of the, yes, exactly. To, to, that's the only way Except to ensure that the game is, is disabled. And, and that takes time, too. Yeah. And because it's a it's an intricate piece of machinery, and so you know we're we're trying to see to make sure that that these convenience store owners who are legitimate who are not criminals who are working you know they're small businesses and they depend on this income uh, to not all of a sudden be raided by the SWAT team in Goochland County. Hey Bill, I want to go back to something you said earlier. Explain to the listeners why there is a long-standing tradition of not legislating through the budget. There's no law against it, but it is a long-standing understanding, and it's because the budget only lasts for two years. Two so, years. so a budget is a an appropriations bill that has a shelf life of two years. So now, for this law to stay in effect, and they put in what we call the the after clauses that this law is will not expire, which is silly because this law now has to be in the budget. Every, every two years. Two years. Every year, because we amend the budget right. the second year. Every year from here on out. It does not become part of codified Virginia Code law because it's in the two-year budget. Uh, so, it, one, that's just crazy. Two, that's a criminal code putting in the budget, which we never do. And yet, you know, the powers that be at the top of the food chain, the very few, decided, well, you beat us this way. This is how we're going to beat you that way. And that's what they did. And they... And, and I will say respectfully that the Supreme Court did not even look at the overbreadth, the vagueness of the writing of that bill or that criminal rewriting of that criminal code at all. Because what they've done is, in effect, every golden tee that has a payout, every Galaga, every Miss Pac-Man that, has, that gives you free games, which is something of value, uh, every crane game that has a teddy bear when your kid runs up there and says, Daddy, can I have a dollar? Um, they don't even realize that those are illegal, too. So, they're, so Walmart's a criminal. Because they've got those crane games. So so every place that has something like that, or a coin pusher game, or... Chuck E. Cheese? Yeah, Chuck E. Dave Cheese. And Buster, Dave, Dave and Buster. Dave State yeah. Fair that's currently... They I mean, are illegal. Yeah. And they don't even realize it, because I think this was a little short-sighted in their measurement. Their timing was god-awful. And one thing I can say, Herm, I have heard, and I think you have too, without, without more, legislators from both sides of the aisle, totally appalled, totally shocked, totally mad saying their people are mad and, and you're seeing a grassroots uprising of these skill game owners and the players saying this isn't right we got to do right. something about it and suddenly i think because all of my legislative friends because i i'm doing this court case i can't vote i don't involve myself in that on legislation that involves skill games because ethically i'm uh, i'm true to my ethics i'm not going to do anything wrong all of a sudden they see the real world problem that this has created and the real world problem is that convenience store that is as able to stay open because of the way the federal government and state government have controlled our economy, demand that we pay, what, somebody behind a cash register, $15, $16, $17 an hour. They're hanging on. The difference, the delta for them have, have been these skill games and that have, uh, that have got a lot of fans who want to play. There's a skill games uh, Facebook page where the players talk back and forth on how to win the games and what to do. And I saw hundreds and hundreds of people 
lamenting the fact that oh, yeah. this, what I would say is a, not a great Supreme Court ruling, but that's where we are right now. It does not stop our trial. We've got trial December 10th. I'm actually, I cleared my schedule for this week. So after I leave here tonight from South Boston, I get up at four or five o'clock in the morning, drive. I got a case in Chesterfield. Then I am staying in Richmond all week because we have so many issues in this case. And, and for all convenience store owners and people that are playing the game that wonder what's next, one, I, I think we have to figure out a way during the pendency of this, if this uh, vacating the injunction stands, how we disable these games in a reasonable manner and not make criminals out of people just because they were operating yesterday under a law that was in existence. Uh, two, we have so many due process issues and we have the overbreadth of that, of that law as it affects all the rest of the games. We have so many that I don't want to go into, but they're in our amended complaint. They're in our original complaint. And so I'm going to, we just have to retool our argument, the court at the trial court level in Greensville, like the First Amendment, we all like the First Amendment too, but we have multiple arguments to demonstrate why this law is unconstitutional. And I think we, we are able now to more fully develop those, and that's going to change our strategies in court, in trial. But, you know, this wasn't the only issue we were hanging our hat on. We had multiple issues. Now these other multiple issues take even a bigger precedent and are that much more important than they were before Friday's ruling from the Virginia Supreme Court. You know, I'll just say a couple things. Obviously, I'm the plaintiff in this case, and take Hermie Sadler and the Sadler family and our convenience stores, truck stops, and restaurants out of the picture for just a minute. I'm disappointed because this is devastating to, I'm going to say, hundreds, if not thousands, of Virginia small business owners and operators, single moms, single dads, all these people that work at these locations are being negatively impacted by this Supreme Court ruling. And the frustrating, one of the frustrating things for me, Bill, is you've got the Supreme Court. Look, and I'm going to follow the law. I'm going to respectfully follow the law. You always have. Whatever they say. And so have all these owners that have the bona fide skill games in their stores. The people that are really fighting for what's right do the right thing when it's in our favor and do the right thing when it's not in our favor. This has been a roller coaster, a, 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 a ride of a lifetime. That's not over, but this is disappointing because I know personally a lot of people that are worried about their livelihood and their ability to maintain their commitments to their employees um, and things like that. But the first thing that I thought about after I got over the initial shock and disappointment of this ruling was that two things you've always told me, Hermie, you have to respect the process. Yes. That I have that there's no shenanigans. There's no politics. You have to trust the process. And so I'm going to try to keep doing that. But the first thing that once I had a chance to take a deep breath and think about it, I asked myself the question, would these three justices have thought or maybe ruled differently had they been been at our injunction trial? Because we, for hours and hours and hours, and witnesses and witnesses and witnesses, and testimony from government agencies like the ABC and otherwise, eloquently and without... Um, without doubt, 
that these games are games of skill. They're not gambling like games of chance. And we didn't just say it. We proved it to the circuit court. So these justices that are, have made this decision that are impacting so many people that they don't know or to the levels that they don't understand, it would have been nice for them to at least be at the, or have been there when we proved all these things at the circuit court level. And so, but I just am frustrated with the fact that there are politics in play here. There, there are politics in play here and um, there are real life people, family, businesses, situations that are affected by this that, you know, that uh, I don't think people on the other side and certainly the Supreme Court um, took into consideration. Here we are, you know, less than two months away from going to a final trial uh, and for them, for them to got, for them to get involved at this level to this point at this time uh, was disappointing for some of those reasons. Herman, let me ask you this, because you're a small business owner. They take away this stream of revenue. What potential possibilities do you see with other convenience store, other restaurants, other bar locations? They're going to they could potentially have problems keeping their employees. Well, I don't know. other people. Open. I don't know other people's livelihoods or P&Ls or I just know by proxy in this lawsuit I'm representing or we're representing as I said a few moments ago hundreds if not thousands of small business owners and their families and their employees and and I've heard through the course of this trial from hundreds of small businesses saying Y'all are doing things that we could not have done. You have enabled us to continue to operate in a tough business. I mean, Bill mentioned the way our government is rewarding people who don't work. Yeah. It's causing the the legitimate business owners to pay, in some cases, higher than um, deserved wages for some people. My insurance has never been higher. My benefits have never cost more. Um, price of gas, we all talk about that all. It's just a bad environment. And so but, you and know, when, when, when this decision comes out, people are, you know, the people that are gloating are saying, you know, we got y'all. We shut y'all down. And I'm going to read something that someone sent me, not anybody here, but one of the longtime nemesis of skill games in part because his wife is a lobbyist for the other side of the aisle the casinos is Tommy Norman Tommy Norman his quote on this was quote it has been too long in coming to shut down these parasitic machines which have contributed nothing to the public good so the tax revenue. That was in a news article with my quote right above it. So I'm fighting. So I'm still fighting. On behalf of me, not Senator Stanley, not anybody else, but on behalf of me and these other small businesses that have legally operated these machines 
and used it to employ people in the Commonwealth of Virginia, build businesses in the Commonwealth of Virginia, pay taxes in the Commonwealth of Virginia, all these other things. I say Tommy Norman can kiss my ass. Well, that was the point I was trying to make. You may lose employees. Your customers may have to see an increase in price on the other products because as a small business owner, you're going to have to, or most businesses will probably have to replace this revenue stream. In fact, one of the politicians, I believe from Northern Virginia said, they'll just have to find another way to make money. That's right. Well, it's easy to say that when you're not in the trenches trying to do it every day. And well, it's if just it doesn't affect you, yeah, then you don't know. You know, if it doesn't, it does, if it doesn't affect you, and that's one thing I've said all along, we're fighting for many reasons. One of the many reasons that I'm passionate about this fight is that I believe that the free market system is worth fighting for. I believe that people having the ability to decide where they go spend their money in the Commonwealth of Virginia is worth fighting for. So some people that are on the other side of this fight are going to say, I, I, I invest in casinos and I don't want anybody going to play a skill game at a convenience store, they need to go to my casino and play. That's what's important to them. But what's important to me and what's important to a lot of other people is what about the fundamental aspect of the free market system? How are we going to tell people that in Virginia and in the United States, you can live the American dream if we set a precedent that says for enough money, the government is going to decide Who's going to win Give and who's going to lose and who is supposed to, where you're supposed to go spend your money. That's, that's what bothers me about this more than any. Am I, am I going to be hurt, my company, by the loss of revenue? Yes. Are we going to have to find other ways to make up that difference? Yes. Are we going to have to raise prices on hot dogs, hamburgers, potato chips? Cigarettes. This? Yes. All this. But I'm saying these people don't think about all of these challenges that these business owners have at a time when there's no margin for error. And you got somebody in a position like Tommy Norman who has ulterior motives. He's going to make a tone deaf statement like that. When look, Tommy Norman's in a good position. He's got money. He's got status. He's got all these things, but there are people today operating small businesses in the Commonwealth of Virginia trying to decide with this devastating news, how am I going to survive? How am I going to make my payroll next week, next month? How, you know, we, we are supposed to be the backbone of the economy in the Commonwealth of Virginia. And Tommy can be happy that his wife's side won. No problem. But why would he make a comment that directly is derogatory towards small businesses in the Commonwealth of Virginia that, operate and pay taxes and employ people. That's what's disappointing to me is we got people like that and law abiding that are so self-centered and arrogant and all these other things couldn't care less if a mom and pop convenience store or restaurant or bar is going out of business. Well, he drives by them in his very expensive car on his way to one of his hotels or one of his speaking engagement or one of his. And I know you have to deal with these people and I'm sorry. Only for a little while longer. I mean, he's out and, and you know, I've gotten from him. Uh, on the podcast, earlier podcast that he got a transcript of that said, you know, oh, I don't like what you're saying about me. Too bad. You're gone. Get out of here. He's gone. And quite frankly, you know, uh, he served a long time in Virginia. 
He's done some good things. He's been transactional. Um, but in a, in a lot of ways, that statement, which when I read it, I was aghast in the sense that first he calls the games parasitic, but he voted for gambling casino style. What is that? Is that not a parasite? Because it comes in like a Rosie's in my opinion, or a casino in my opinion, into your community and sucks out the dollars from the people that can least afford them. Doesn't provide any other service. I mean, convenience stores, truck stops, bars, and, and restaurants have service orientation uh, to the people that they serve. But they come in there and they suck out that money and they send it to another state. They don't involve themselves in the community. They, they raise some local tax revenue and they raise some state tax revenue and that's all they owe. And then they dictate policy. Isn't that the definition of politically parasitic? And then the second so. part that gets me, you know, riled up, and especially when it was right underneath a quote from me saying, look, we, we understand the decision. We don't think it's correct. And we're ready to fight because we're ready to fight. But then he says that have never done any good. Is that, is that what basically he said? What that about $120 million in tax revenue? 120, during, during, during the COVID during pandemic. COVID. During the COVID pandemic. Something that your casinos and your VGTs he said, did not do. It has been too long in coming to shut down these parasitic machines which have contributed nothing to the public good nothing to the public good so number one then that 150 million dollars that came in during the covid era that was able to help people with covid relief was no good for the community that allowing these skill games to be uh turned on after the government shut down restaurants and bars and and made the convenience stores carry the weight when they had no employees, it was the difference between them staying open and closing in a lot of food deserts throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia where people were depending on those convenience stores for food well, now or you're gas. Gonna, now you're going to see and higher so, prices. But how is that How is that no good for the, common, for the common man or the common good? What is that quote again? I mean, it's, you know, that it did nothing good. Now it's keeping these great small business owners uh, afloat. When that government said you must pay them at least 15 bucks an hour if they're going to work in your store. Yeah. And by the way... Uh, the cost of, of goods and, and the cost of living is going up through bad business decisions. Do you know what's not good for the common good? What government does. Not these skill games, not these small business owners. Because you know what that statement is? That is a statement of on high from, a, a, from, a, from an ivory tower of someone who looks down on people, who treats people differently based on class. And this is the same guy, the same guy, the leader of my caucus, Going out the door, thank God, just like that slamming door. <laughs> My son just doesn't remember we're taping. But just like that, he was the one that called people who own convenience stores that had these games in them Alibabas. And it wasn't because he's talking about, uh, you know, a carpet ride. He's talking about the nationality. That is racist. In my opinion, that is ultimately racist. He called them Alibabas. He said it right on the floor of the Senate when we were debating this issue a couple years back when we were in the science building, that these are Alibabas. Alibabas, huh? Because he looks down on people. Good riddance. Get the f*** out of here, Tommy Norman. You don't, get, get, shut your mouth. Go, go back to your big house and, and, and be irrelevant. You're done. Let the rest of the people rule Virginia now because your, your time is over. And you know what? That guy's not even a senator because he knew that he was going to be primaried with Ryan McDougal and Ryan would have kicked his ass in a primary he that's could, my rant thanks for getting me all pissed off Herm. well and right. he apparently forgot the republican oath that we have uh quoted several times on the previous issues of the podcast 
where it stands for small business. We got some late breaking news here. <laughs> oh, he's reading something not related to this. Uh, Go ahead, Chuck. Well, yeah. again, Hermie, I'm going to predict that the the consumers are ultimately going to pay the price for this governmental decision. Well, I'm telling you, because right now. now the drink that you go in and buy for a dollar forty nine might become a dollar ninety nine, and that's not extortion or, or holding. No, they that have drink to replace this revenue. They, they have, have to, to, just like Hermie or said, or cut jobs. And you know, it, it goes even farther than that because. Um, you know, the most important thing is is that we depend on these small businesses, especially, like I said earlier, in food deserts, in areas that don't have convenience stores. Uh, they provide a lot of the fresh food that's there, or then only food Meals. some people can eat. And and so those costs going up affect the people that least can afford it. Not the people that live in gated communities that teach at vaunted state colleges for an inordinate amount of money, who might have served in the Senate or the House. These are real people. Real people that nobody thinks about when they're sitting up there in Richmond half the time. I mean, they they are easily discardable because they're not at their cocktail party. They wouldn't even let them in their cocktail party. I mean, this is the mindset. You know, this is why they called it scuzzy. This is why he, he called the people that run those convenience stores work their ass off. Alibaba, give me a break. This is us. This is those that have against those that have not. And this is where you see the dividing line. What I've really seen is. I've gotten call after call from House of Delegate members, like I said, senators. We got to do something about this. Because they just thought, you know, they're used to me winning. They, they see me as a very successful attorney. I am. I represent a lot of them. And they know I was getting the job done. And so now they're like, well, I, I thought this what was all What are we going to do? Yeah. I thought this was all set. I thought we were okay. I thought we were moving into basically January 2024 with a new General Assembly session saying, all right, now let's legitimize these because the court case is done. Instead, it throws a lot of people in a cast. But I'm talking senators. I'm talking people high up, Hermie. And we won't go into those deep things. But the people that actually will be some of the most powerful legislators and the ones even surprising are saying, we've got to change. This isn't right. Yeah. This is not right. And they're hearing from their convenience store owners. You've got don't the, forget. You got the Asian. Not uh, only is our court case coming up, but elections coming up, too. Exactly. And, this, and, and that was, I've heard that the timing sucks from people that are up for re-election. And that they don't like the way that they've released this. And they don't like the way the attorney general's office has handled this. We should have just gone to trial. But no, they, you know, you got to wonder what's, what's at work there. I mean, I'm speculating, but, you know, they, they don't like how it's being handled. These are legislators. But what you're seeing is like the Asian community, the, the Indian community, those people that own convenience stores, they have an alliance and association, a convenience store association globally, statewide. You've got the restaurant uh, purveyors. You've got the the small business uh, purveyors. All of them are starting to rise up and say, wait a minute, this is not right. And they want change. And then you've got a lot of the public says, wait a minute, this is not right. So what you're seeing is, and I'm seeing it every day since Friday, is a tidal wave of people waking up and saying, no, 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 this isn't right. This ruling stinks. We need to change it. How do we change it? And they think we can just go press a button and change it tomorrow in the General Assembly, which we can't, uh, but it needs to change. And maybe this will wake everybody up to what really is the issue here. The issue is not, uh, you know, the issue is simply this. We've opened up gambling and gaming in Virginia. I voted against it. Didn't want it. But when you open up that gambling and gaming, then you ought to let small businesses in Virginia participate. That's just fundamentally fair. And that's the way it should be. Instead, we have sold our souls, in my opinion, to the out-of-state casino interest, and now we are reaping what we sow. And, and we will pay a price for that. And small businesses are the ones who are going to pay the worst price. 
I mean, for two years, we've had an injunction protecting these small business owners. Two years. And now they just, they say, well, turn them off, it's, which demonstrates an ignorance of them. And then suddenly, oh, uh, Mr. Smith that owns a convenience store that has three uh, Queen of Virginia games in it or three bona fide skill games from another manufacturer, you are now a criminal because even if they turn it off, they're in possession under this crazy facoctus law that was put into our budget that the possession of the instrument is a felony. Wow. Not just the operation of it. Bill, why was it only Ridiculous. set up where three justices heard this appeal? That's why called, not the full Supreme Court? Well, then, and, and I guess we could ask for a rehearing. But at this point in time, that's called an 8.01626 of the Virginia Code snap appeal. That if an injunction is granted, then you have a right to go to the Supreme Court and ask them for a review of that. They've already done this once. When we first got our injunction and, and the Supreme Court turned it back. Right. This time, and they did so within 30 days of the filing of the appeal, this time it kind of lingered, which made me wonder whether they were considering it. And, and what they're supposed to do is consider the whole record. Hermie, I don't know what record they consider. And they made reference in the opinion that they handed down of, of the record we have in front of us. Well, what record is that? Is that just the pleadings? Do you have the trial transcript? Did those three justices actually sit down and read seven hours of testimony, read hours and hours of depositions, Look at every exhibit that we offered. Look at the videotape uh, and the videos that we presented demonstrating what these games were and weren't. You just don't know. What record did they review to come to this conclusion? Because it really flies in the face of what I thought was a very well thought out ruling by the trial court at the circuit court level based on tons. And I mean, let me tell you, I have a room in my law firm that has notebook after notebook, big, wide, four inch notebooks full of evidence and testimony and exhibits, and motions, and briefs. In this case alone, it fills up bookshelves that go around in an L shape. That is the record I've got. Do you think three justices look through every page and document? I have to wonder. I don't know the answer to that, but I have to wonder, because what record was in front of them for them to come to this conclusion? I'm not going to look. I respect, and as Jeremy says, I respect the process. I believe in the process. I've worked in that process for 30 years, and sometimes you lose cases. I've lost cases I felt like I shouldn't have lost. I've won cases I thought I should never have won. This was a case I knew we should have won. And now we have a reversal. I respect the process. But it doesn't end what we've done. It just redoubles our efforts. It, it girds me even more. I am ready to fight and win even more so than behind. I, I told Herm this. I told one of our co-counsels this. We had been winning in, in where I thought we were taking some things for granted. I, I felt like we were going into the next court case in December wearing flip-flops, camo shorts, and a t-shirt. Now we need to wear a suit of armor. Now we need to fight iron with iron. And so I'm, 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 I'm mad as hell, but I'm ready to go. And, and I respect whatever the court does. I may not agree with them, but I respect it. Uh, but that doesn't mean I have to take that as the answer. And that is not, repeat, not the final answer in this case. We have much more. And I think this trial is going to go even longer than the two days we've set it for. We have much more evidence to put on the record. We have much more things that we can win with, and we're going to win. Does this case ever go federal because the casinos are out of state? Does it ever get to a federal level? No, because the casinos aren't a party. It's just Hermie. It's just Hermie. Okay. Hermie has taken the mantle up of all convenience stores. He represents not just him, but all convenience stores. Every owner that's out there, every restaurant owner, every bar that has a a skill game in it. Every small business owner that, that wants to actually be able to participate in an emerging marketplace without having the government dictate totally 
that they're picking winners and losers and choosing casinos over them. That's what he's, fundamental fairness. I mean, there's so many issues here that he's fighting for that I think that's what makes it not only a just cause, but a right cause. And what concerns me is, is that there are a lot of people out there now that are in this confused state of, am I a criminal now? I've been doing everything right. I shut off the games when they passed the law in July, what, two years ago? Mm Mm-hmm. I turned them back on only when the injunction was granted, and it was only these skill games that were registered that I had through ABC. Now am I a criminal? I mean, what the heck? And and that is a real good question. I think that the attorney general's office has to answer, and I think all the commonwealth's attorney's offices in the counties and, and the sheriff's offices in the counties and cities need to understand for themselves that uh, ultimately... The uh, they should not treat these people as criminals just because we've had a vacated injunction by the Supreme Court. They need to understand the intricacies of what's going on and and do accordingly because these are good people not doing bad things. They're doing the right thing. There's so many in so many ways, Bill. We you know we've already won. If you think about it, oh yeah, you know we've won and exposed so many things. Yes, perfect example. I know the General Assembly wrote a criminal code change and stuck it in the state budget, and that's what we're at odds with now, maybe with with what the Supreme Court thinks versus what we think. But prior to that, we proved, and the Supreme Court in their ruling even acknowledged that SB 971 is unconstitutional. Yes. They've acknowledged. They've already said. They acknowledged we were right. They, we were right. Yep. SB 971 is unconstitutional and should not have been enforced. The circuit court is right. If not for our lawsuit, SB 971 would have always, at least to this point, be on the book. been the law of the land. You're right. An unconstitutional law would have been the law of the land. And if we hadn't, if we hadn't challenged that. So right. not only no, did we right expose that. that, we also exposed some of the backdoor workings of how that was done, why it was done and the negative impact that that would have, would have had on a lot of businesses yeah. that no, I didn't the circuit that. court that and the Supreme court has said, Bill, Hermie, y'all were right. This, how can in 2023, the backhanded now, backroom smoky room deal fixed it at least right, to their, to right. their mind at this point, Remember, this doesn't decide the case. This is just at the injunctive phase. And so that's, so they said, well, at least on its surface, it's not unconstitutional. <laughs> but, but what I'm saying is. I feel like we're at a subway station right now. But what I'm saying is. <laughs> People opening and closing the doors. They acknowledged in their, in their ruling, the Supreme Court of Virginia says, yeah, we had an unconstitutional law that was signed by Ralph Northam. And if you hadn't challenged it, if you and I had decided be that, we'll be there. And people would be being prosecuted. So what are we talking about? We're talking about, we're winners. That's what we're talking about. We're winners. No, you're right. No, and what we're talking about is that we keep the challenge going. And that's why I still think it's an unconstitutional law. I guess to me, it goes back to... The new law. I guess to me, the point I just made says even more about the, the links and the depths that some people... Politicians, lobbyists, the governor's office at the time, how far they would go for them to win by signing 
we, you and I both had concerns that the initial SB 971, before we even filed a lawsuit, was unconstitutional, had constitutional issues. Right. And so we proved that. Yes. And now, like to your point, they can, at 11.59, before 12 o'clock bell time, stick a criminal code change in the state budget that nobody can talk about, nobody, nobody can, can vote debate. on, right. nobody can debate, nobody can, nothing. Yeah. And that that fixes all this? Yeah. It's crazy. You know, and I and I stood up on, when we voted about the amendments to this year's budget, and I abstained from it, and, you know, I stood up and said, I'm not voting for this because of the disgusting part of the budget that had that amendment that messed up our case, and how dare you do this? And And I don't think I can vote for a budget that has that in there. Um, so I abstained and it's, it's dirty, it's dirty pool. It shows, you know, and, and remember who are the, who are the people that were driving the train? Um, one on the house side, we don't even have to name Janet Howell and Tommy Norman on the Senate side, who luckily are all retiring forcefully or otherwise, and, uh, by their own volition or by force or, and, and so, uh, they're the ones that made that decision that they were going to violate their own rules, which they told me when I came here 13 years ago in the general assembly, we're not legislating through the budget and we don't interfere with ongoing litigation. Well, they did both because they hated that you won and that they got caught with their pants down, uh, you know, messing around with Virginians rights in an unconstitutional, unconstitutional Senate bill 971. So you're right. And I'll say this. And too. now we're going to show them that this budget. I mean, remember, we still got appeal on this on their violating the single object rule by sticking the criminal. That's code what in I wanted to bring up. The single object. Well, rule. Before you get on that, put, put I just want to make. But I want to make sure we got that on thing. appeal later. Not now. There are a lot of good, honest, quality people in the legislature in the Commonwealth of Virginia. There are. There Great are people. a few bad actors. Very few that are causing these problems for everyone. You know what I learned during this first 50 minutes of this podcast? What? And, Hermie, you may or may not picked up on this, but Bill actually thinks that's four inches when he was describing the thickness of the notebooks in his law office on his case. He actually <laughs> thinks that's four inches. That explains a lot to me right there. I used to make that, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, well, so so what, what we've got going forward is we still got our court case. We still got our lawsuit. We still got, we're still in a position with great, with great and wonderful issues that I think are right. We are still on a path for victory. We do not have an injunction right now, uh, but you know injunctions are rare to get anyways. And I don't. I respectfully disagree with the Supreme Court. And remember, the likelihood of success in the merits is a high bar. I disagree with them respectfully on their belief that we're not going to win. Um, that was the only issue. There are four factors in what we was talking to you about the Winters test. Um, public policy, balance of the balance of the, the equities, um, and likelihood of success in the merits is, is one other thing. And then there's no other remedy that can be obtained through law. They didn't address any of those. They just went for likelihood of the success right. of the merits. They didn't go for public policy and the balance of the equities uh, versus the It home. just seems like a big time. So we've got more to do, but we, we're not looking at the winter's test anymore for an injunction. We're looking at this law is proved to be unconstitutional. It just seems like a a big left-hand turn for the Supreme Court to say, Circuit Court, you were right in ruling the way you did on SB 971. Then turn around and say, you're so wrong on this new language that 
we're going to vacate the injunction you granted. It just seems it's a lot for them to pull. A 180. And again, it's three judges, not seven. It's not a majority of the court. And it's only with regard to one small issue, which is the injunction itself. The injunction is not the case. The injunction was to preserve the status quo because the case has merit. That's all they've done is remove by vacating the injunction. The case still has merit. I have all the confidence in the world. And believe me now, I'm fired up. And you know, you've seen me in court when I get fired up. Cheek's a little red today. Uh, Well, you know, I'm I'm a little pissy. But pissy's good. As my wife says, uh, don't piss me off. In politics or the law. Don't tell me I can't in the politics or law. Because then I redouble my efforts. So you're not going to quit? Well, no, I'm not going to (laughs) quit. Listen, there was a dirty word. There are a couple dirty words my parents uh, taught me. The worst word in my family was can't. And it motivates me every day. I was a small man growing up. Bully, and I kept moving around because my dad was in the Navy. And bullies would take a look at me. I had big, blonde, friggin' poofy hair when I was a little kid. And you know what? They'd sit there and try to boss me around or bully me around. Sometimes like, like the dude in the JCPenney uh, clothing that we've been talking about earlier. And he should have figured out by now, you're only pissing me off. And you're only, I'm only going to redouble my efforts. You say I can't, I say I can, and then I will. And there's a difference between being a lawyer and being a great lawyer. And he's finding that out, too, as he leaves the Senate. And he'll find out pretty soon if he hasn't found out already. They mocked us, Shep. Huh, home cooking. You guys got that injunction. Home cooking in Greensville. There were no, nobody in that courtroom that knew Hermie Sadler except the clerk. The judge looked at everything fairly. Huh. Well, you know, you're going to lose. Oh, um, bad ruling. Well, we kept winning. And then um, the disturbing thing that I heard from the lobbyist from the casino side, and I don't know if this is true or not, was casino said, we got the Supreme Court. We got the Supreme Court. Hmm. What the hell does that mean? Well, I think we found out a little bit what it means. Got three this, but they haven't killed our case. They have not killed our case. And they have not killed my spirit or your spirit, Hermie, and our drive and a determination to, to make sure that fundamental fairness wins in Virginia and that we're not going to be, sus, you know, we're not going to be susceptible to outside influences like the casinos who will then try to dictate. And they're already trying to dictate what is policy in the Commonwealth of Virginia. When I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. My dad used to lovingly say to me, when they, what they want to say is we know what's good for you. Don't. Don't take any other option except the ones we force feed you. That's not the way we live in the country. We've got a long ways to go in this case, but just to put a bow on it, Bill, I'll say to you again that so far we have greatly enhanced the livelihood and opportunity for thousands of small businesses across the Commonwealth of Virginia. And lives. And number two, we as evidence about a Supreme Court ruling, even though we don't like it in its entirety, they proved to us or confirmed the fact that we kept an unconstitutional law off the books and unenforceable in the Commonwealth of Virginia, which one should never be signed by a governor to start with, right? especially and we when all the these rules. politics are involved. And we played by the rules. Sure. We have played by the rules. When they told you to shut down the skill games, you did. Sure. When the injunction was on, you turned them back on. 
And now you're going to respect the law, even though you believe the law is an a for now, until we get a permanent determination of the constitutionality of this law baked into the budget. And quite frankly, we're law abiding and we're, and these are respectful business owners, not just you, Hermie, that are, that are uh, adversely affected by what has now become really a political issue. You've got the former, um, minority leader. These games are parasitical. They are, they have no good for the common man. Speaking out of his, that's politics. All this fight and debate with the, with the simple few that have determined the fate of many in Virginia when it came to skill games, in the back rooms that we never saw, all of them were not doing, in my opinion, what is best for the Commonwealth of Virginia. They were doing what is best for what they thought their special interests that dominated their minds was more important. And for that, that's the disgusting part of politics. As my son goes out for the third time with a new paper airplane to go fly it and I like slamming the, they, the door. They, there I like, you go. I like, <laughs> I like the way they quietly sneak the door open <laughs> and then slam, and then slam it. it shut. Rocket. Bill, how did all this get passed a single object rule? Um, the, because I think the court, this is my opinion, I believe that the court felt that the First Amendment issue was so strong that, that the court didn't have to go peek, as the court said, peek behind the curtain to find out the motivations of the uh, of the legislature to determine why they would put this in the budget. But I think, you, I think it's a very viable, I think it's a very, very viable argument that we still have. Can you cliff note the meaning of the single object rule? Because sure. some of the listeners may not know no, what that a, means. That's a great point, Chef. But just cliff note your back. So the single object rule is a constitutional prohibition against governments passing bills like they do in the federal court. In Virginia, our constitution prohibits you from having a bill that touches on more than one subject. So I can't have a bill about beer. So my bill's about beer. And then I put something in about childcare in the bill. That violates what's called the single object rule. In the budget, the budget has a single object. And the budget is a law. It is a law, but it's a temp. It, it, it I understand, but every two years. But, it, but the single object is appropriation. <laughs> Here we go again. And three, two, one. All right, not yet. There, you go. there it is. <laughs> so the single, the, the hell, the single object rule basically says if you look at the budget, the budget is a bill of appropriation. He looks it at has, you like, Dad, why are you here? Yeah, why leave you him. Hey, he knew now. my name. Leave him alone. He yeah. actually knew my he, name. He even knew how to say it. He did. Chet Miles. He says it. And when you call me and he sees it on my phone, he says that out loud. Well, you never answer. That's because usually I'm laughing at him. Uh, no, because I don't want to talk to him with him in the car because I know the way you and I talk to each other on the phone. Um, so the single object rule in the budget means it should be about appropriations, not about the criminal code. If we, you know, if we're writing criminal code in the budget, then why are we writing any other laws? Let's right. just write one big budget bill with all this stuff about housing, the criminal law, about civil liberties and rights. I mean, that's why the budget is the budget and that's the single object is the budget. So the single object rule is supposed to try to provide for transparency, debate, prevent the fat in the pork yeah. that goes like into in a lot government. of the federal government. Well, they they attach all these other bills onto an appropriations, but we don't, we don't allow that in Virginia. So Virginia's trying to that way to you do. know what you're arguing. Everything's in front of you. It's transparent. The public sees it, and you're not hiding things like they did. This, this new budget language that, that changed the law of SB 971, which was unconstitutional, 
saw what we were winning and, and exited out and tried some new language and that this Supreme Court has now said, man, it seems okay for us right now, was snuck in a budget, never properly debated. The public didn't get to have any input on it. We didn't have any hearings in committees. We didn't have any floor votes on it. That's what the signal object hey, rule tries to prevent, and it's a violation of that signal object rule. Did the circuit court judge dismiss that argument? He granted demur on that, which was... So that's on appeal right now. But we're going to ask, one of the strategies is to think about asking him to reconsider it now that we're, because he just, look, I, in my opinion, the court believed the First Amendment rules. Remember, the old adage is, the government doesn't dictate the terms of the First Amendment. The First Amendment dictates to the federal government. Correct. And so that is such a powerful thing in our Constitution. That's why the founding fathers made it the First Amendment. Not the Fifth Amendment, not the Fifteenth, the First. Freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom of, you know, uh, so many freedoms that, that I can't, you know, freedom of religion and, and separation between church and state. The list goes on. They put those all in the first one. That's why it was so important, and I think that's what the court focused on. But we still have all these other elements of our court case, which are very strong. I think I could win on any single one of them, and I think we will. Um, but now we've got to focus on those things as well. We're not giving up the First Amendment. Right? Yeah, because I took it when the, ju when the judge was things. speaking. The judge didn't say the single object rule is not applicable. I took it to mean what he said. I'm just not going to peek behind that curtain right now right. because it's not. The First Amendment is the issue that I think is really the if issue that is of most importance in this case. Correct. You're exactly right. So that didn't, he didn't say single logic rule here. hadn't been violated. He right. just said, he, he I don't, I don't, don't want to, don't need to. And he, he used some term like, I don't think that these political games should be going on in the middle of the night. He, he made some comment yeah. about in the dark. Yes. We shouldn't be doing the people's work mm -hmm. in the dark. Correct. But my major concern is the First Amendment. That's what, in my view, is the issue yeah. that's going to decide this case. Yep. That's exactly right. I, and, and well said. Uh, you obviously have a very good memory and, and you comprehend ex exactly what's going on and what can be a complex so, so legal that can argument. Be That's why we're here trying to break it that, down. That, make that it simple. single object rule can potentially be brought, can, be come brought back. can come back. Is that correct? Yeah. It can, well, he granted the demur. It's not a part of this, but we're going to make a motion to reconsider. And I think we're going to, and, and we've got it on appeal to higher court uh, anyway, because we think it's right. Yeah, we've we've done repairs to our airplanes, yep. and we're headed and back three, out the door. Two, and one, one three, uh, three, two. Uh, easier hey, that time. Hey, maybe yeah. they listen. Well, the wind didn't catch it. <laughs> <laughs> and boys are having a good time. I got my son Chandler here and his friend Philip, and they're making paper airplanes in a nice windy day. So they must have some kind of competition going on. They're yeah. going in the back room back here. And if you look at Phillips right now, I think there's not a not lot. Not going to fly. There's not a lot of input. There, I wouldn't want. I wouldn't want to fly on he that airplane. Well just uh, and, 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 and it becomes a piece of paper. <laughs> <laughs> so, Bill, this is this is the position you find yourself in, and I'm going to try to give you some friendly advice. Thanks, I need it. You already oh, so earlier today, you broke him down. Now you're going to try gonna to build him back up. It's Humpty Dumpty. Look, <laughs> you've already f***ed up and ruined porn for everybody in Virginia. Thanks for Now, don't f*** 
fucked up again and lose the skill games for everybody in Virginia, too. It's okay. a lot of pressure on now, you. Now, the porn ban to prevent children from accessing porn is a win. But not that's not loss. the way everybody looks at it. I understand. Everybody's buying burner phones. Is 99% They're of the burner phones from <laughs> Carolina Walmart. I see you brought in three. I did. Uh, so, yeah, uh, but this is a very important issue for small business. This is also setting the table and putting the boundaries around casinos. And we've said it before. It's like letting a bear, if you, the bear's in your yard and you think you're going to placate the bear like by letting it come in and eat the stuff out of your cabinet. It ain't going to happen. Well, pretty soon you're making the bear eggs. I mean, you're, you're never going to satiate the bear's appetite. The bear's going to run and dictate you. Here's what's happening with this industry that we let in. And, and this is a struggle that, and a debate that a lot of states are now having. You know, North Carolina's having this. We started out with scratchers. But we're going to, but yeah, we're, we're allowing gambling, but it's not really gambling because we're going to put all this money that we make from the scratch tickets and the lottery to the schools. Well, then pretty soon we need that money and the right. schools aren't getting the money they're supposed to be getting. So what we did was we lied to people. And it doesn't matter what the call, it doesn't matter what the benefit of the money is. It's the process. It's the gambling, right. that, the gambling and change, right. and whether then, it's going to a church or to the school or in your pocket, see, the Vir process is still the same. And in Virginia, it went like this. It was scratcher, scratchers. We're only going to do scratchers. We're against gambling, kill bills all the times for casinos. Then it was like sports betting through fantasy football that you could get in a fantasy football league with DraftKings or whatever it was called, and you could bet and win money on that. And that was okay. Well, that now in politics, they say that's, that's the camel's nose under the tent. Pretty soon he's in the tent. Well, guess what came next? Sportsbook. Sports betting. Used to be bookies. Highly illegal. Underground. Well, you know what? Let's legitimize that. And guess who's coming in and doing it? The casinos. MGM Resorts. All those guys. DraftKings. All these. And so they started doing the sportsbook. Then guess what? Well, you know what? Sportsbook isn't good enough. We need to allow casinos. And then when the casinos fought for it and got in, now we've really opened the door to gaming. And then all of a sudden, when the casinos come in, they go, hey, and by the way. Ain't going to be no games. May no, and the, the small business owner in Virginia can't participate. Only us. Because remember, the small business owner did not participate in fantasy football or bookmaking. Okay? Small business owner is not going to be able to create a casino uh, because of the way the law is written. But the one, the one region where the local small business, restaurant, bar, truck stop, convenience store can't participate in an industry that we've now let and created in Virginia is through, is through skill games. And you can allow charities to do charitable gaming. Bingo. So that they can win. Yeah, but now the casinos don't want bingo. Oh, wow. They don't want the VFWs Seriously? to have... Absolutely. They are no against... Way. If you ask them, if we put a law in that says uh, VFWs, Veterans of Foreign Wars, uh, uh, you know, posts can't have bingo, they'd be 100% behind it. They've wow. tried. They're against everything that is not in their control, in my opinion. And therefore, when they control it all, they keep it small, control it all, and what they're going to do is if we can get rid of skill games, because they've been doing this, they've been, they've been allowing... Virginia, by their lobbying, to miss out on quarter million dollars, I mean, I'm sorry, quarter billion dollars, $250 million every a year, year while this injunction is in place because they want to eliminate it. And then when they eliminate it, they'll come back to the General Assembly and go, you know what? Our revenue's going down a little bit. Let's put in some skill games. But they'll control it. We'll put them into the small business. But they'll control it. Look at what the revenues are doing right now, like in Danville. Look at what they're doing in Bristol, in the casinos. They're going down. Two straight months, Danville Casino's going down, all right? Because the, the appeal's worn off. 
The honeymoon. Yeah. So now they got to go, well, how are we going to make more money? Now what are we going to do? Because we're, what they're saying to Virginia is we're investing $100 million by building this big hotel and this big casino. That's how we're investing our money in Virginia, because then we build the building we make money out of. So what are they doing for small community? What are they doing for that small business owner? They're raping Absolutely them. zero. They're raping them. So they're going to have to control it all. Monopolies. We've talked about this enough, and we've got... All these podcasts that you can go back and listen to, uh, we have a huge library. We interview stars of wrestling, stars of motorsports, uh, political uh, figures uh, such as our lieutenant governor and other figures like that, and we talk about this a lot. But we constantly say that the casino has a monopoly and will not, will not, will not loosen the grip on it, and they, don't, they could care two shits about Virginians. They could care two shits about tight squeeze Virginia or, or Manita. They could give a damn. What they care about is getting that money, enticing them people in, and sending it back out of the state. You know, That's somebody their, made this comment. Remember, the their, their modus operandi is the house always, always wins. wins. You know, not a, this is not exactly the same as our case, but it's certainly David versus Goliath. I hold case has been that way i've viewed it that way still is somebody made a comment to me and it, this is our case is different because we're talking about games of skill that if you're skillful enough you can win every single time we proved that in court there's a representative from abc that wrote a letter uh to that effect that now i think works in the attorney general's office yeah uh, all that but somebody made a comment to me on the street the other day because now with this ruling that's come out with the supreme court there's a whole nother wave of people coming out saying why is the government trying to tell everybody what to do on this issue? Why can't I spend my money where I want? And this person made this comment to me. Again, it's not totally relevant, but it's, he says, you know, when you go to Las Vegas, they got winds and they got the Bellagio and the Mirage and all that. But when you ride out of town, they got these little small places and strip malls where you can also go spend even your airport, money. Even in the airport, you can gamble. Okay. So people can still choose. And Virginia is trying to take that right away. Yeah. And doesn't look like they're going to give up until they, uh, until they get that. Nope. And they're not. And, uh, but our fight continues. Yeah. I mean, I've redoubled my efforts. I've cleared my, my schedule. God, I hope so. I'm rocking. This is where these things can be my finest hour and will be my finest hour. I'm not intimidated. And I got a lot of four inch notebooks that are this big, that are coming with me. In fact, before we got into this camping trip, we left yesterday for South Boston, my wife and I, she started hauling in these boxes after boxes, and we filled up, we filled up my car because as soon as we land tonight, uh, when I leave tomorrow morning and head to Richmond, be serious. I'm going to eat, drink, and sleep. Probably still smoke. Hermie Sadler's Sadler Brother Oil's case. And so um, that's why we fight. That's why we started this thing. You know, we knew we were going to win the injunction. We may not have anticipated what three justices determined for the time being, but we still have all the confidence in the world that we've got a great case and we're going to win it. Just as I'm confident that this door is going to slam in about three seconds. <laughs> three, two, one. Now he's looking at us. Uh, Channel is like, slam uh, the damn door, will you? Come on now. <laughs> he closed it like it was like he was holding a button. He heard you. I guess I was wrong um, on that, but I'm not wrong on this. We're gonna win, and um, 
I am super motivated and, and, and I've got the jet fuel needed to be, uh, needed in my tank to win this case. So what, what, what is the hand signals ship? What are you trying to say? He said race. We may want to talk racing for a few minutes. Well, we got to get out there. Practice starts here in nine, 10 minutes. Yeah. I want to get, I want to get inside so, for practice. So we're either going to take a break or this is the end of the show. So we're going to figure out, uh, after practice, but we're either going to be back or thanks for listening. What are we doing? I, I'm not in charge. We got to be more topic oriented, but I, and you and Shep can work that out, but I do want to go inside to watch our team's practice. Okay. So let's, uh, let's take a break. Let's take a break here. And, uh, and then we'll come back. Let's thank some sponsors. Uh, but we always have to thank sponsors like Sadler Stanley racing. You can always visit us at SadlerStanleyRacing.com. You can go to our podcast. So actually here's, here's when he's Facebook page. It's going to keep me from getting inside <laughs> by lingering, but this uh, is important. Uh, right, turning the left is, uh, we've got our own Facebook page, but we also have our own website. So, Go and catch everything you want. And Hermie's going to be the last one to slam the door before we say goodbye. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be right back. I'm Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley, and I'm leaning right. Shep, you're going to have to pick it up because he's quitting on us. He's now quitting. And I'm Shep Moss, and I'm carrying your bags, Bill. <laughs> How about that? We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Hi, folks. This is Hermie Sadler. Thanks for listening to our all-new podcast, Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. I hope you are enjoying the show as much as Senator Stanley and I enjoy bringing it to you. Whether you're a family traveling together or a truck driver hauling freight up and down the highway, I hope you will take the time to visit one of our Sadler Travel Plaza locations in Virginia and North Carolina. Sadler Travel Plaza locations are licensed dealer locations for pilot travel centers. And we also carry Shell Motiva petroleum products for our four-wheel friends. We pride ourselves on providing one-stop shopping for service, food, and entertainment. Our food options include Five Guys Burgers and Fries, Quiznos, Dairy Queen, Hermie Sadler's Faux Show Bar and Grill, Victory Lane Restaurant, Hunt Brothers Pizza, Dunkin' Donuts, and much, much more. Our locations include Sadler Travel Plaza in South Hill, located off I-85 at exit 12. The Sadler Travel Plaza of Emporia, which is conveniently located on exit 11B off I-95. And Sadler Travel Plaza on Highway 58 in Suffolk. We also have our North Carolina location, Sadler Travel Plaza in Dunn, North Carolina. That's exit 75 off I-95. We appreciate all of our customers, and Bill and I appreciate you listening to Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pace of Madden. 
Hey, this is Bill Stanley, Hermie Sadler's sidekick on this podcast. When I'm not in Richmond at the Capitol or doing this podcast, my real job for the past 27 years is as a trial attorney with the Stanley Law Group. Here at the Stanley Law Group, we represent our clients in every courthouse in the Commonwealth. No problem is too small for us to solve. No case is too big for us to win. Whether it's criminal charges, traffic offenses, civil disputes, litigation matters of any sort, we handle it all. We make sure that we treat every client like family because they are to us. Your problem is our problem. Your success is our success because we hate to lose more than we love to win. And believe me, we win a lot. Don't believe me? Go ask Hermie. I'm his favorite lawyer and he hates lawyers. So give us a call at 540-721-6028 and let us help you. Or visit our website at www.vastanleylawgroup.com. That's www.vastanleylawgroup.com. At the Stanley Law Group, we'll make sure we're the lawyers that you swear by and not at. And we're back. I'm Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley, still leaning right. And I'm Hermie Sadler, still turning left, leaning right and turning <laughs> left with Sadler and the Senator. Powered by Pacematic. Hermie, we're back. It's now Wednesday. Uh, if you listen to the first part of this po- podcast. From Sunday to Wednesday. Correct. We have oh. moved forward in time like we were in a time machine. <laughs> we're now in Richmond. Uh, yeah. We were in uh, in the earlier part of this uh, podcast, this episode, we were in South Boston, Virginia. Right. Getting ready for a race. Mm-hmm. Talking about our court case, what happened in the Supreme Court of Virginia. Right. Uh, I think that was a really good uh, discussion. And mm-hmm. hopefully all of the operators who are listening to this podcast, many of them, many, many of them do. And then I was on a conference call with them uh, yesterday. Uh, I think even many more going to, to listen. This is their source of information of the skill games saga and drama here in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Saga we, and drama is saga a good way and to drama. explain it. <laughs> it's turning into that. And so we're here today in Richmond. Post-race, we're going to talk about the race a little bit, what happened and uh, the ups and downs of that race. It was a great race. And then we're going to just talk about what we're doing today. Yep. The legal team, and I'll start off with that, the legal team and the skill games lawsuit, Sadler versus the Commonwealth. Uh, we're all gathering here today. Uh, we're sitting down and we're we're digging deep into the court case. We've got so many issues uh, that that are in our amended complaint, uh, and we're going to be hitting on those as well as continuing to hit on the First Amendment free speech uh, prong of our argument. And so I think uh, we're in pretty good shape. I did a lot of work yesterday before I saw you here this morning, and uh, and I'm feeling pretty good about where we are. One thing I will say, is, and I'm, I, I said this Sunday while we were taping in South Boston, but ever since the Supreme Court came down with this decision, I mean, my phone has lit up yeah. with operators. And I'll give you an example. Not just skill game operators in small businesses that are affected by this. I was at my office yesterday. In fact, I had just walked out of my office to go to lunch. And I saw a gentleman that I know that uh, that uh, was riding down Main Street. He owns a, um automotive repair shop. And I've known this guy a long time. Doesn't have anything to do with skill games. He does not. He circles back around and comes up to my truck as I'm getting in my truck to go to lunch. He said, what's going on? I said, we chit-chatted, small talk for a minute. He said, I saw you on the news last night. You know, I did a interview uh, Monday with Channel 8 News. And apparently it uh, aired on TV Monday night on the Channel 8 News. And uh, he said, man, I just cannot believe um, what the Supreme Court has done. And I said, yeah, you know, we're surprised. We're shocked. You know, uh, we've felt like 
you know, we were getting prepared to go to trial in December, which we still are. That doesn't change. I said, but we were all kind of caught off guard and surprised that the Supreme Court, without even really having the whole record of what we proved at the injunction hearing, you know, maybe in front of them. So we talked back and forth about that. And uh, he said, you know what? You know, he says, I don't operate skill games and I'm not a fan of gaming and this and that and the other. And he said, but what they're doing to you and y'all in this case, if we just, if y'all just let this go, what's it going, what's next? Mm-hmm. What, what can they do yeah. next? And he made the example, you know, we have Shep, you know, usually, you know, Shep Moss is with us. He was with Shep us Sunday. Miles? Shep Moss. <laughs> you know, he works for Brandon Boyd. Nice guy. Yeah. Great company. But this guy yesterday made the analogy to me. He said, what if like the Boyds here in Emporia, who are the, you know, in the, in the, in the big scheme of things, they're the big boys in Emporia as it relates to car sales and automotive repair and all that. He says, what if they had gotten some type of a license or got something done in the Commonwealth of Virginia to be the only people in Emporia that can do state inspections on cars? That just puts me out of business. And I said, that's really what I've been fighting for for three years is it's yes, the constitutional rights of small businesses, all those things we talk about all the time. But the government in this case, take the law aside, the the government in this case is deciding who gets the business. Yeah. And who doesn't? And, exactly th- and this guy, I mean, he ended up being a 45-minute conversation. He said, I just want to thank you. He said, I know they're putting you through the ringer, meaning me, us, the trial. I said, yeah, I mean, they're powerful. They're strong. They got plenty of money. It's almost like a game to them. You know, they, they, they're they going to keep on appealing, keep on rolling, you know, trying to wear us out. I know what they're trying to do. But he said, I just wanted to stop by and tell you that even though I'm not in the convenience store business. I'm not in the truck stop business. I'm not in the restaurant business. I don't own, operate, or play skill games. But I can see as a small business owner in a completely different industry how if the government is just allowed to be lobbied or paid off or influenced to to decide and tell people where to go or where they have to go to spend their money, they can do this to you now, but tomorrow it's going to be me. Exactly. And, you know, that that goes without saying this lawsuit's not just about skill games and small businesses and government overreach and the casinos monopolizing and trying to take up all the air in the room here in, in the Commonwealth of Virginia when it comes to gaming. We've said it before, you know, when the casinos come in here, and if they're successful removing skill games from small businesses, then suddenly when their their monies are going down, as we're seeing that trend now, they'll say, you know what we need? We need Virginia for you to allow us to put our own skill games back in small business, and then they control it all. Keep it small, control it all. I've said it before. That's their plan. That's their play. And in that play, they have not cared about the Commonwealth of Virginia, in my opinion, because they've allowed almost three-quarter of a billion dollars in tax revenues that we could have collected uh, to be uh, put in the coffers that could help Virginians, everyday Virginians uh, in their lives, where we could do something good you know, with the government doing something for people. Instead, we've got this dance where the government and the casinos are forgetting about the little guy in the businesses, but also what that money could do for Virginians. And one of the craziest things is with the signing of this original SB 971, which is designed solely to give a monopoly 
to the out-of-state special interests of casinos and Rosies and all these other things. In doing that, they took away oversight from ABC. That allowed all the illegal operators to come in and infiltrate the, the Commonwealth of Virginia. They did that. With and the now they take that and try to confuse and convolute the issue with people that are not educated or don't understand. They say, look, all these games of chance that are in all these vape shops and back rooms and no oversight, no tax, no regulation. You know, it's uh, Hermes is responsible for all that. And it could not be further from the truth. Exactly. In fact, you know, the Bodafide skill games, we said it before, shut down legally when they were told to by and SB 971. Didn't turn back on until we got our injunction in December, nearly two years ago. Only those were the legitimate games. The proliferation of the illegal games they've allowed to happen because they want to conflate the two. Now everything's a skill game. Everything's a gray machine. And that's how they then put the black hat back on us after or try to after what we've done is uh, methodically and within the bounds of the law, try to protect small businesses and, and make that make that delineation between what is a bona fide skill game and what is still still an illegal game. Those games uh, that you're talking about in the vape shops in the back rooms were illegal to begin with. We're illegal under the law because they're games of chance. And that's what the law says that's been there. Games of skill are not games of chance. And they should have been they should have been taken out. But there was no enforcement. And that's Virginia's problem. Right. And it's Virginia's problem that we they didn't took put, that away. Not us. Correct. And it's Virginia's problem that we didn't put a, a tax and regulatory and a clear delineation between what's legal and illegal in these games and that's our problem but we've allowed it because of the influences in my opinion of the casinos with people in the legislature and to get us to this point and so this is why we continue to fight so today we're putting together a great court case Uh, we feel very confident about where we are it really has awakened the slumbering giant as i said before uh i i was on this call with operators who were mad who were scared uh, who had been operating lawfully within the bounds of the law. They were worried about, you know, does this decision make me a criminal overnight because I'm in possession of, of mm-hmm. a machine that they're saying is not allowed, or at least they vacated the injunction. I was able to, to convince them, though, that you're not a criminal. You're actually the good small business person that has just wanted to be a part of this new gaming industry that we in the General Assembly allowed to happen. And what we then were able to do was have a very good conversation with the general, with the Attorney General's office, who is not only representing Virginia, but also who's a party to this litigation that you're involved in. And and they sent out a letter uh, through one of the best attorneys I've ever met, Chuck Slump, that said, let's, let's give this 30 days to enforce that way. It takes time to turn these games off. We talked about that in the earlier segment. And so now we have, at least in place from the Attorney General's office, a recommendation to Commonwealth's attorneys to, to allow this to occur and to make sure that we're not penalizing good business owners in the Commonwealth of Virginia who are trying to do the right thing. Because, correct me if I'm wrong, if we're now going back to the, the skill game ban budget language being what is potentially able to be enforced by Commonwealth attorneys. It's not just the offering to play of skill games that makes you a criminal. It's the possession of the game. Whether it's on or off. Whether it's on or off. It doesn't discern. And so that's what I explained, you know, Channel 8 here in Richmond called me for an interview the other day and and the girl who's interviewing me says, Hey, we've we got a we first got a letter from a press release and we talked about it some the other day. Right. Um some unflattering comments by some members of the General Assembly that I won't go back into. But says we got a we first got a uh some 
you know, some correspondence from the attorney general's office that made it sound like it would be enforced right now and you could get in trouble right now. And then a couple of days later, a letter comes out and, you know, there's a 30 day period. And and that's what I explained to the, to the lady interviewing me. It says, you know, we, the way, if you're not careful, somebody, a Commonwealth attorney in one of these localities that, you know, may have an agenda or maybe it maybe has a tie to an area with casinos. Mm -hmm. They wants to make a statement or make an example out of somebody could go in, you know, first thing Saturday morning at eight o'clock and say, you know, the, the Supreme SWAT Court rule come down on Friday, the, yeah, take the SWAT team out Saturday morning and say, hey, look, these people are crooks and criminals. They're operating these games in this bar and tavern or this small business. And and, and again, the, the, the it's not just the operation or the offering of play, you're not supposed to be in possession of such item right. if you want to get technical. So I appreciate, look, I don't agree with the Supreme Court's ruling, but I respect the process. Sure. And I'm going to there abide go, by the law. <laughs> and, you know, so I appreciate the Attorney General's office who is, who I'm battling yeah. uh, in this lawsuit, but at least they're doing the right thing in this case by allowing people to comply in a way that uh, will prevent them from, this has already been devastating enough, mm-hmm. but they could be popped with a $25,000 per machine fine. And a felony. And a felony. If there's not some kind of common sense used in the, in the uh, in the shutdown of these games. Well, and you know, and I think with the orderly shutdown of the bona fide skill games, the ones that were covered by the injunction, which we have to do, the order was vacated. We still have trial. We still have all our guns, all our ammo. We're ready to fire. You know, I'm saying that figuratively, not literally. Uh, we all have that in place. But then I think you also get to see who are the legit players in the gaming market and who are the illegitimate. Because the illegitimate ones that turned on when SB 971 went on and proliferated throughout Virginia and still do to this day are not going to heed uh, this injunction or they're going to say it doesn't apply to them. It only applies to us. You'll be able to see and discern between the good guys and the bad guys uh, as this process plays through. But we're we're very confident that we've got a great case. We've got a lot of issues, as we talked about earlier in the earlier segment. Uh, I think, you know, going forward, that's why we're here. We, we're here. I'm here all week to try to put this uh, together very tightly, not just for you, Herm. And, you know, it's not just our friendship and that you're my client, but it's for all of these legitimate business owners who have been playing by the rules that are now wondering what the heck's going to happen next. And, you know, even last night, I, I went out to dinner with a couple lobbyists, three lobbyists that I usually hang out with that, that are really nice guys. They don't influence me. Usually we give each other crap. Of course, they gave me crap for losing because, you know, I'm, I'm not somebody that's used to losing. I don't lose a lot. And they've seen, you know, how we've won in this court case. Even one of them represents casino interest. They were shocked with the ruling themselves. They were surprised. Now, after giving me crap, they, they really did kind of, uh, you know, let me know that everybody in the community, as we call this around the General Assembly, the chattering class, which is the lobbyists, the legislators and, and whatnot, everybody's been talking about it. Everybody's shocked and surprised. And suddenly everybody realizes, wait a minute, maybe this wasn't such a good idea. Maybe this isn't where we should be going. Maybe we should sit down once and for all, tax and regulate, and allow these small businesses to be there. So this may have the opposite of the intended effect, which would be the casino interests who want us all shut down, would love this ruling. They want this. They're even telling people that it's a permanent ruling, that suddenly our case is over. 
and which it's not. And so, um, you know, what they may find is that with um, the citizenry, the grassroots rising up and saying, wait a minute, I may not play it, but that's my convenience store. And he or she needs that who owns the convenience store to keep operating so I can go in there and get the stuff that I need. A lot of these convenience stores are in food deserts, like we talked about in the earlier segment. They depend on this revenue to stay open in these areas where they don't have grocery stores. That's what a food desert is. Mm -hmm. because a lot, And they provide fresh uh, food. And a lot of these are doing that in areas where there's no grocery store and the people need it. So the domino effect of what the Supreme Court ruling, and remember, it's only three out of seven that ruled, not the full entire panel, uh, is, I think, going to assist us as we move to the General Assembly session of both the legislators that are sitting and being reelected and the new ones coming up. Wait a minute. We need to finally find an answer that allow these games to, to thrive, to, to, to find them in a way that we know the difference between a legal game and an illegal game. And that we're helping the small business owner and the, those convenience stores, truck stops, bars, and restaurants who are our lifeblood in our communities and who needs them. And even if you don't like them, even if you're the that calls them insidious, um, then uh, then you still understand and respect why they're there and the same reason why you allowed casinos in. And I'll tell you this, those lobbyists were shocked by that comment from that outgoing legislator in the Richmond Times that was below my quote. And they were wondering, what the hell does he have to do with this anymore? He's on his way out. And I said, my thoughts exactly, exactly what I talked about in the earlier segment. So what I'm seeing is that there's a lot of alignment behind us. And a lot of people out there are suddenly waking up and saying, this is something we need to take care of in a positive way. This, unfortunately, you know, small business owners and their families and their employees is basically just collateral damage in a lot of ways, because this is about power, control, and money from the casinos and the out-of-state special interest. Why else... This outgoing legislator we keep talking about, mm -hmm. why else would he gloat about taking revenue and business from small businesses, even in the district that he has represented for all these years? He's gloating about somebody maybe losing a job, maybe losing a business, all that, because the power. Yeah. The control. And I'll tell you something else, and I hadn't even mentioned this to you You're prior. looking down on the little guy. Let me tell you something. Um, Rosie's opened up in Emporia, my hometown, on September the 25th. And so yesterday I got, I went back and reviewed some of my reports on our legally operated skill games because we have a convenience store right beside Rosie's and a truck stop about a half a mile from Rosie's. Guess what Rosie's opening up in their you know grand opening and all the stuff? The amount of play in my games in my convenience store, my truck stop is down probably twenty five percent. Really? But guess what? I don't want Rosie to shut down. I just want Rosie's to play on a level playing field like me and everybody else so that we all have equal opportunity. So take it for what it's worth, but I just think that the the free market system and capitalism, you know, everybody should have the same opportunities and let the people decide. But unfortunately, people are not letting that happen. Wow, you're so fair. 
I mean, if, if we could all think that way, Herm, like you do, we wouldn't even have an issue right now. You know, if we could all learn to live together and work together in this, again, I say it a hundred times, emerging marketplace that was created by the General Assembly. I was against, you were against, no, you know, we didn't need a gambling in Virginia in my mind that it would create a whole host of problems, which we're seeing that gambling and the areas around these casinos has have had a, a rise in crime, a rise in vices. You're bringing in something that people are addicted to. I mean, all of that can be, you know, kind of shown very easily in what has happened since we've allowed casinos on board. But, you know, I also was talking to a lobbyist who represents one of the big ones out West, who's not involved in the casino marketplace here in Virginia, who has made it very clear. They said, the skill game player is not our clientele. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? You ought to let them live and let live. And this is a large, large casino. You would recognize their name. They, they advertise on TV and sports betting. And they have got the right idea. And then they sit in the midst of Las Vegas with all those tiny little casinos around them and they live just as fine and they, their money is their money, you know, that they generate. But it seems like a fundamental unfairness is afoot with the people that are involved, even the local Virginians who are involved, in my opinion, in the casino industries. And that has caused this problem. And here we are two years later with no tax revenue that we could have had, no solution that we should have had. And we're attacking really, and we're hurting the very backbone of Virginia that we depend on so much, the small business owner. And the people in Emporia, local government officials, have gotten where they, they won't come talk to me anymore about it. Because I tell them the truth. For instance, I was in a meeting a couple weeks ago with a member of city council and another small business owner in town. And they all want to go around and say, hey, isn't it great that we've got Rosie's here in Emporia? You know, and people think it's just me because of my ongoing lawsuit that, you know, is not crazy about their parent company and their business practices. but. You know, they brought up uh, about, you know, supporting Rosie's. We're like, we just wish they would be on the same you know playing field as us. And then this person on city council says, but listen, they're estimated to generate about $700,000 of tax revenue here in the city of Emporia next year or in the next year. And that'll help us build our school. So I said, oh, so, you know, that's, you know, they will generate money to build a school. That makes what they do okay. I says, but let me tell you the fine print or what you're not going to tell everybody. The word that you forgot to put in your little speech about the tax revenue generated by Rosie's is additional. They're not going to generate 700,000 additional dollars. Right. Because... When somebody goes to Rosie's and puts money in a machine or eats at their bar or restaurant, that's money that they're not going to spend at not only Fosho or my truck stop restaurant, but Cracker Barrel or the bank restaurant or Logan's Diner, that these people are spending their money somewhere else, not addition to yeah. what they would normally spend. Yeah. So the same pot of money now, it's just same pot of money just bucket. spread thinner. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, same way with the jobs. Well, Rosie's is going to create a hundred jobs. No, Rosie's is going to relocate 
75 of those 100 jobs. Mm-hmm. And because they've got a um, a different playing field to play on, they can go pick the cream of the crop employees from other places because the government has given them a golden ticket. Yeah. You've got a monopoly. You've got a better playing field. Uh, you've got a, a sweetheart tax deal. You've got all these things. And so, but, you know, when this guy came from, who, who, who's a friend of mine, he says, you know, Herman, you need to start telling everybody how good Rosie's is for the area. I mean, we're talking about trying to build a school. I'm like, but you don't understand because what, what, what I'm fighting don't affect you. You're in a different line of work, government supported, all that. You're not fighting your guts out every day for your business. And so, you know, when somebody goes somewhere else to spend money that they would be spending in somebody else's business, in part because the government has told them that's where they want them to go, I just don't understand why people wouldn't want just the free market system to work. And that is the biggest thing, Bill, as I've told you a hundred times, what I, what what angered me about this thing before when I started talking to you, before we even talked about the law mm-hmm. and the First Amendment and all these other potential issues, it's like, ethically speaking, why, how can the government do this? Yeah. And they're, they're the continuing government. to do it and gloating about they're it. They're the government. And that's, and that's where we are. And so... You know, like I said, we're, we're going to prepare up here for the next couple of days. We've got your deposition coming up as we hurdle towards the last motions a day in November and then the trial December 10th. So stay tuned, uh, especially not just the operators and owners of these small businesses that listen to our podcast, but you as a Virginian, you as an American, this should be your fight. This is why you should be interested, because if they can do this on the smaller level, as Hermie just said, they can do it on any issue and any right that you have. And if you don't push back now and join the fight to push back government overreach and to push back large corporation monopolistic behavior, then once they get away with it once, it's like your kid. If your kid gets away with something the first time and you don't correct them and you don't fight back and make sure they don't do it again, they're going to do it again. So, um, you know, we're, I'm just glad to be in the fight with you, brother. And, uh, and certainly from here, we're going to, uh, I think, on to victory. Last thing I'll say, and we'll move on, talk about some racing before we wrap up today. Everybody that's called me since the Supreme Court ruling, they said, what can I do? Yeah. You know, really all anybody can do is call your local city officials, mm-hmm. call your delegate, call your state senator, and tell them what you think about it. Yeah. Because there's an election coming up. Yes. And no offense to you as a politician, <laughs> but Here it comes. some of them... <laughs> only tend to listen or i'll say listen to constituents more when election time comes around it does make a difference it does i've had you know even on the dog issues i've had people walk down to my office and say make them stop i'll vote for your bill it does move the needle don't think you're one person that can't make a difference one person turns into 10 people turns into 100 people turns into a thousand very quickly and i think it goes back to your point of you kind of poked the bear and awoke a sleeping giant because all these small business owners were kind of waiting for our trial in December because we have put so much time and effort and money into 
not only saying what we believe, but proving what we believe to be true in a court of law. And then when the Supreme Court kind of comes in, you know, in the in the bottom of the ninth and, you know, makes a ruling like this, people started to stand up again and, and remember how mad they were when this injunction, I mean, when this law was first signed. Right. It was an outrage because businesses and people have rights. Yeah. And they're kind of Go being figure. trampled on. <laughs> so, as you said, an unintended consequence of the timing of the Supreme Court ruling and the fact that the AG's office appealed to them in the, in the beginning could backfire on them in a way that they've reminded all of these business owners across Virginia how unfair we believe that this push for the casinos to have a monopoly really is and how many laws and rights that it violates. Puts a human face on the whole issue. And I think it kind of separates the wheat from the chaff when we when we're talking about large monopolistic business interests from out of state and the guy down the street that you know that has that convenience store that you pump your gas at. And I think, you know, I've heard from politicians say, durable time and durable. Okay. But maybe you should have been thinking about this beforehand too. I hate that you're only now thinking about it, but I like how you're thinking. Uh, so I have great hope in my fellow uh, legislators when we get back in 2024 that we'll put a final um, final resolution in place that will be fair to these small business owners that we're fighting for. So in the same way that we we're fighting for those small business, we were fighting for a championship. I will say this. The motor- oh, two, one more thing. <laughs> not going to call no a transition name. Yet. I had a great transition. Not going to call bro. a name, but... I got a very interesting phone call from one of the most powerful legislators in Virginia over the weekend last weekend that I would not have thought would have reached out to me that is concerned about the effect of this Supreme Court ruling and I think understanding what's right and wanting to maybe um, maybe jump to our side of the fence to help get something done in the name of fairness. And so, and I know that legislator and that legislator is good to that legislator's word Yeah, and does not mess around. and wasn't just, uh, you know, pulling your putt on this one. I think there's some, and I I only say that behind that to say that I do think people because of the Supreme court ruling and the timing of it, more people are paying attention now than they were two weeks ago. Correct. And that's a good thing. Yep. And like I said, my, my greater transition, I'll do this. You know, we went to South Boston. I'll tell you this coming home. Uh, we went home Sunday night. The race went till about six o'clock. Yeah. Um, I didn't, I had to get back in the RV and you like to tease me about the white knuckle effort, uh, going there. I'm getting more comfortable with the RV, but let me tell you, I've never driven in at night down one lane roads, you know, two lane roads, uh, in the backwoods, getting back to my farm, getting back to my law firm to put the RV up. And I, I had never had such a scary experience in my life driving a big old lumbering RV, uh, with what I did not anticipate, but should have known, which is it's October and the deer, including the big old bucks are running around trying to find a date. Yeah. And, uh, and I saw more deer that I wanted to shoot uh, then I wanted to hit with my RV. And so by the time I got back to the uh, Stanley Law Group uh, mothership uh, there where I parked the RV, 
I was just exhausted. And uh, so as my wife was very encouraging. You're supposed way, to enjoy was, driving your RV. <laughs> well, Don't see all those commercials. Nine, nine o'clock at Don't night. see all those commercials, Bill, with the <laughs> RV and people up oh, in the yeah, mountains yeah. and everybody's happy and five laughing and five bucks for joking no. and driving up through the winding road. Look, you yeah. live in a beautiful part of Virginia. I do. Enjoy it. I tried. Take a deep breath. I, I was not breathing at all, really, and I was hunched over that wheel, and I was white-knuckling it. And I could hear Laura, Bill, get over! <laughs> She's, dear, dear, dear. And they were, I mean, and then when I drove back in the car, um, I saw these dead deer on the side of the road, and I was like, you know, that could have been me. But luckily, uh, through my careful uh, driving, uh, we were able to get home safe with the kids, and uh, we really enjoyed the race. And that race really was that smart series race at South Boston, second uh, visit to South Boston, which is one of the greatest, most historic short tracks in all of Virginia, all of the East Coast, all of the world, where NASCAR got its start, uh, was one of the most incredible races to watch. Let's talk about it. I mean, what'd you think? Give us, give, give the audience exactly what Well, the first what thing the we got to remember, you know, the race was supposed to be on Saturday. Mother Nature has been playing havoc with the Smart Modified Tour this year. She's undefeated. Um, so, you know, for the race to be moved to Sunday, which is, a, I mean, it's a, it's a tough day um, to compete because you got NFL football, you got the NASCAR races on right. TV, you got church, you've got church, you've got the World Series going on, right? You got all these things. But so I'm thankful, number one, that. The Smart Modified Tour realized the importance as we get closer to trying to crown a champion that we needed to get this race in. And so they moved it to Sunday. The teams obliged and and worked it out. And uh, it was a great race. As far as our two cars, um, we, were, we were on the cusp of going, getting in the final three. Yeah, uh, we had Bobby an opportunity had to get Bobby Labonte into the Smart Three on the driver's championship side. And our 39 car and the smart three on the owner's championship side. And so uh, we'll talk about Bobby first. Um, Bobby qualified fourth. Um, the car that we were racing for the third spot qualified third, but we got bit right off the bat with the redraw mm -hmm. because Bobby redrew seven, and the car that we were racing for the last spot in the final three redrew first and so you know and you get an extra point for leading a lap and then there's a point benefit for leading the most laps and there's points benefits for the where you run in the 30 lap stage so even though we qualified right beside the car we wanted to keep an eye on he was way up there and bobby was way back there uh, that was our first snake bite. First snake bite. We had another couple, didn't we? Well, you know, Bobby, uh, you know, spun one time, racing hard. Yep. You know, we we both. He was in the top three, I think, at that point in time. Yeah, we were. Uh, we talked before the race because I was somewhat confused, as was Bobby, on how the points work. So we went and got some clarification on what are the different opportunities that we can earn points during the course of the day. You know, so Bobby. And the last four or five laps before the 30-lap stage was battling Burt Myers tooth and nail. Right. Trying to get up there and get one point. And Burt's at number one, and probably yeah. the championship is really sure. All he has to do is start. 
and finish the race. Doesn't matter really where he is because of the point difference. So, well, I think I think the the smart three though, whoever wins of those three in the no, last race, no, and no, and work that way. No, it doesn't work that way. And I've already talked to Chris to. about having to change it next year. Yeah. Actually, it should be next year, just kind of like NASCAR. If you win, you're in, yeah. and then you take maybe the two points guys. Yeah. So then you have maybe seven, eight cars. Nine cars fighting for championships, and that's when you make it winner take all. Yeah, whoever finishes in the highest order wins the wins the championship. This is still a convoluted point system, kind of like NASCAR, where you know, just like Martin Truex, he can he can crap the bed and still go into the next round just because he he loaded up so many points beforehand. So it looks like Burt Myers is going to be your smart series champion. That doesn't mean don't go out to the race in Orange County. It's still going to be an exciting race as people fight for other things. But the race itself in South Boston. I thought was an exciting race, especially when you said Bobby spun out, but then fought his way back to the front. Cash drove very strong all day, and I, and I think you were the one that kind of told me uh, that Cash was battling a vibrating car during that race, too. And I just love watching Jonathan Cash drive our second car when he gets those opportunities because, man, he puts it he puts it out there. And this is a guy who's been involved in karting and, and achieved greatness in karting. But when he gets in that modified in the Southern Tour, he's on fire. And he he has parked us a bunch of top tens uh, and top fives this year every time he's gotten in the car. So I watched him with excitement all day. Went back and forth. You had, you had Carson Lofton, that number one car, out in front most of the day. And then you had Jankowiak, uh, the guy from up north who said he was going to come down and run this race. And he, were, he and, and uh, Lofton were battling for first and second. Uh, but... Uh, it was an amazing uh, race, and Bobby fought his way all the way back from the back. Then we go and after his uh, after his spin out, he what he pitted, yeah. And what happened there? Well, um, there was some confusion on pit road being open. Several drivers, when pit road was open, pitted, and then it was closed again. Uh, so is that a Chris Williams special? Uh, no. He, he wasn't he wasn't directing it was hoots no intent on anybody had on this podcast three or four cars i guess got caught in the transition of it's not open it's open it's not open so we were one of the several cars that pitted too early got penalized for that uh, i don't think we should have been penalized for that but we were so you know bobby really went to the back of the field twice and drove back up to a sixth place finish uh, ultimately you know, wouldn't really wouldn't have mattered the way the twenty three ran. He was uh, fast all day. He ended up finishing second, and you know he was going to be hard to beat uh, that particular day. He uh, the twenty three picked a good uh, a good race to you know to to kind of put it all together. And really should have won the race. He uh, he really probably spun his tires and made a mistake on the on last, the last restart. restart. We had a bunch of yellows right there with the yeah, last. What, it always is that go. way. You know, people start fighting for position. So overall, you know, I t- and I told Bobby after the race, I mean, last race prior to this race, Tri-County, you know, Bobby won and made it look easy. But at South Boston, Bobby drove probably what I thought was his best race. I agree. Driving for us. You I know. mean, he passed everybody at least twice. At he least he went, came through the field two different. And those calls are hard to pass. Yeah. Driving. And so uh, I thought we had good speed. We team. were uh, number one and two in practice. Yeah, we? yeah. We, uh, you know, everything was there, but we just didn't have circumstances uh, go our way. So, so yeah, Andy Jankowiak finishes first. He's from up north. Carson Lofton second. Joey Coulter third. Tom Buzzy's son got uh, 
a fourth-place finish. He's been running really well towards the end of the season, and we love Tom Buzzy. And then fifth, Tim Brown. Sixth, Bobby Labonte in the 18. Seventh, Burt Myers. Eighth, Jason Myers gets a top 10. Bobby Miesmer in uh, ninth. Uh, Jake Crum, 10th, and Jonathan Cash finished 11th after yep. having some vibration in his car that affected him. Yeah, there were times when uh, you know Cash was uh, one of the fastest cars on the track. He had a vibration. We came in, swapped less, went back out, and he drove from 15th, 16th back up to 4th or 5th, and um, and then he picked up another vibration uh, towards the end. But Jonathan's fun to watch. He's uh, He loves the opportunity. He races hard, gives good feedback. Our guys uh, enjoy working with him because they know he appreciates the opportunity that he gets. And so um, with that 11th place finish, we were able to move forward. So moving to Orange County on the 28th, uh, a week from Saturday, we uh, we will have a chance to race for the Owners' Championship uh, at Orange County Speedway. That's pretty exciting in our second year. I mean, that's that says something. We went from one car team last year to a two-car team this year. You know, there are growing pains that come with that. We've had some ups and downs, but here we are uh, in the hunt for an owner's championship with one of our cars, the 39. Bobby shot up the list as well. It's going to be a fun race, and everybody should get out to Orange County. It's uh, the Martinsville Wheeling race that we're running both uh, Bobby and Ryan Newman in is uh, on Thursday, the 26th. That's right. And then the 28th is Orange County. Yep. Right across the Virginia line, uh, just about 45 minutes south of Danville. Come out there and see that race. Rougemont, North Carolina. So uh, there is a little bit, there was a little bit of post-race excitement. And there was pre-tech excitement with our team too. There was one team who was fighting for the championship, maybe in the top three, who kept protesting everybody. Protested (laughs) uh, us, did they not? Yeah, our... uh, both of our cars, which I had really never seen that happen because all these races, smart modified tour races, are what we call impound races, which means after qualifying, you are not allowed to go back to the pit and work on it anymore. Okay. You can make small adjustments on pit road prior to the race within the guidelines of what the smart tour tells you. But after our cars qualified the other day, uh, one of our fellow competitors that we were battling for a top three position chose to protest both of our cars uh, on left side weight. He he didn't think our cars were heavy enough on the left side. Huh. And so what kind of advantage does that give somebody if we're light on the left side? With these cars, I don't know other than there's a, I mean, you have to, I can't see where being light on the left side will help the car at all. Okay. But so, and I went and asked uh, Chris Williams, the series director, how could we be protested after initial inspection and after pre-qualifying inspection? If we passed initial inspection and we passed pre-qualifying inspection, which we did, and this is an impound race, how could we be protested? And he indicated that anybody could be protested at any time. And is a five hundred dollar per car protest fee. Hmm. So both our cars got protested. They reset the scales. We rolled both our cars back across the scales. Both of our cars were legal. And so at the end of the day, no harm, no foul. But it was kind of a kind of a cheap shot attempt by somebody we were competing with in the race to try to get us thrown to the back. And what happens with that money? We get I mean, it. So we get the thousand dollars. We do five hundred times two. That's right. From them. 
Yep. So that's taken out of their purse money, or they just got to. Uh, no, no, Do they give them that. the money before the inspection? So that money is. You need to talk Chris to your Wade? friend Chris about that. I'm not sure actually <laughs> how that's handled, right but but I did ask that question to make sure that that was a, a paid deal, and if we're legal. We get to keep it, and I was assured that that was the case. So then uh, the 73 Andy Jankowiak, who won the race, came up from the north, as I said earlier. They protested his. I guess they pulled his engine after the race. Um, Smart just released a statement saying it was within compliance of the uh, motor requirements of the Smart Tour. So he's declared the winner. But also the same people, from what I heard, protested the height or the the angle of his uh, rear spoiler. Mm Mm-hmm. And, um, but didn't do it until after the race. And I guess either the techs missed it in pre-race tech, uh, but, uh, smart decided not to do anything except find Jen Kowiak $750 for that. I mean, I guess, you know, if they missed it and they said he was okay, pre pre-qualifying, which tech, is my point on hours yeah. too. Yeah. Then, you know, then that's the way it is. But I'm telling you what, uh, those people that were kind of fighting for the third position, that team was willing, they would have protested their own mama if they thought they would get him to second place. And, uh, but I was really proud of the team. I was really proud of Bobby. Bobby Labonte calls me up that night and says, man, I'm sorry. I said, what are you sorry about? That was one of the most exciting races. You passed everybody except the lady at the ticket office um, who was selling tickets. And he said, well, I did when I pulled my RV out. And so I said, so you even passed her. I mean, he did such a great, a great run. We're really he drove, looking he drove forward. great. So we're really looking forward to what's coming up in, you know, on the 28th, 28th. 26th at Martinsville and right. 28th at Orange County. And we're, we're just excited. This is finishing out the year. We've got our drivers, Ryan Newman, Bobby Labonte. We've got the 39 out there. we got the 18. And you may have a little bit of a surprise uh, for all of the modified race fans at Martinsville. We'll see if, uh, if you Working pull that on. rabbit out of the hat. We won't tell you now, but we'll tell you about it later. But uh, I'm excited for the end of the season. I think we did pretty good this year. Yeah. It's, it's came uh, around at the end, too. It's been especially. a process. And, you know, the series is growing. Uh, the notoriety of it's growing. A lot more people in and around the Commonwealth of Virginia and the Mid-Atlantic region know what Pacematic is now that didn't know what it was a Which couple years important. ago. Yeah, and they've and, been great too. You know, and so and a lot more people know who Alan Jeff- Joseph is. So there you go. They just don't just can't talk to him, right? Because you can't understand, right? But anyway, uh, we're going to go prep for our court case. We're going to go uh, dig deep and fight for these small businesses. But uh, I certainly have enjoyed this second segment with you. I hope you out there in uh, podcast land are enjoying every episode that we bring to you. We have a huge library you can find on all the major platforms. Go back and listen to some of our really funny ones. And if you've just started listening, go back and kind of regroup and find out all the great uh, interviews we've done with wrestlers, racers, politicians, and all the opinions we've had and the funny stories with Shep Moss, Cranking the Weed Eater, Big Strike Zones. They're all in there for everybody to listen to. Plus, you can catch us on www.saddlerstanleyracing.com. You can catch us on www.leanrightturningleft.com. We're on social media and Facebook and Twitter at Sadler Senator. Uh, and then a Lean Right Turning Left podcast on Facebook. Look us up. Tell your friends. Give us a five-star rating if you get the chance. But we really appreciate you listening. That's the biggest thing. Because we bring this to you because we're passionate about what we do, whether it's race and politics or this or this lawsuit. That means so much to so many people. And not just on the micro level of small businesses with skill games, but on the macro level of how government can affect your daily lives. And so it's very important uh, that you listen. And we're grateful that you do. Hermie, I'm actually going to end this show without going an extra five minutes. What do you think about that? 
Well, How you, about you, that? You just win an extra four. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I was giving all the tags. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we want to thank everybody at Pacematic. We want to thank everybody. Uh, with Podcast Eat, who puts this on. Wesley, our editor, does a, an incredible job. We really appreciate him, too. And we're going to see you next week with an exciting episode, I'm sure, with more to talk about and more people to talk to. I'm Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley. I'm leaning right. And I'm Hermie Saddle, and I'm turning left. Thanks for all. Thank you all for listening. Thanks to Pacematic, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pacematic. God bless you all. Conrad Thompson with SaveWithConrad.com. You've heard me bragging on the podcast for years about helping people save money on their current house, but did you know that I can help you with your next house as well? That's right. We can get you into your next house with zero down. No money down loan programs are still available, and I know it sounds too good to be true, but we can do it for you. And by the way, home ownership is more affordable than you might think. We routinely turn renters into homeowners, and we hear back that their new house payment is more affordable than what they were paying in rent. Why would you keep doing that? Stop throwing your money away, paying for someone else's mortgage, and start building wealth for your family. And let my family help at SaveWithConrad.com. You don't need perfect credit to do this. We can improve credit scores down to the 500s, and it's worth mentioning, we never say no. We say not yet, but here's how. You need a game plan to buy a house, and that's where we come in at SaveWithConrad.com. We'll ask you, what down payment do you want to make? And zero is an acceptable answer. And what monthly payment do you want? And then it's time to go shopping. Find out how easy it is and how affordable it is to become a homeowner at SaveWithConrad.com.